This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome back to the final episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we used to review film series one movie at a time, uh, but no more. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and for the last time, I, I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Not much. What's going on? Uh, just the end of all things. Not much either. I'm glad I'm with you, Gabe. <laughs> here at the end of all things. Exactly. So we put out a short, a short announcement episode as to the reasons why franchise fatigue will be ending. Um, if you didn't catch it, go back and listen to it. We're not going to get into it all again here. But suffice to say, this will be our final episode. We're just gonna we're just gonna close out with a review of the year of twenty twenty one cinematically. Yep, we're just gonna be running through a whole bunch of fun categories and then uh, going through our top ten of the year. Overall, James, what are your feelings on? you know, the uh, 2021 as a year in movies. I think there are some really good ones. It's, it's weird because it's, it felt like we started the year being like, we're about like, everything's about to start coming back. Like there was a lot of optimism about stuff and everything opened up and a lot of movies came out, but there was still, I don't know. It felt like we still were holding, like there's still a lot of the, pandemic that's holding over stuff and i don't know if it's that um or just like increased busyness but like there were different movies that i wasn't able to see um come to think of it i guess a lot of it is just because i wasn't able to make the time out to see it um because my my local theater is not super great and i always end up having to drive out to dallas and so i miss things but there's some movies that i really did love so I think it was, it, it's, we're not talking like 2015, 2016, 2019. Like we're not, we're not talking about that level by any means. I didn't walk away going, oh, I'm disappointed. Like, like I said, the movies that I love this year, I've really loved. Um, but I still, it still doesn't feel like, like the, we just got just nonstop smashes you know just non-stop crazy amounts of incredible movies and i think certain movies or certain years like i said like honestly really 2014 15 16 19 i mean even said it like really the we've the the 2010s every year yeah. really had some absolute freaking bangers and it wasn't even just some it was like some all-time great 2019 had jojo rabbit 1917 and parasite like those were my top three of that year. That, that was that's amazing. Like it's not often you get, I think, films of that quality. You know, so many of them in one year. And there were a couple other great ones as well. The thing is, I, I feel like in in film groups and film circles, it's because we do have some years that are just such high highs. It's it becomes like a normal thing to like start bashing other years and saying this year wasn't a good year for film and stuff. And I mean, I do the same thing, but as is usually the case i'll go and like i'll click that year in letterbox and be like wait a second i really <laughs> like that movie wait that one was super good i didn't know that came up. like and it's 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 rare to me just because of i mean even in a slow year crap loads of movies come out yeah. like it's insane amounts of movies come out and so i never really feel like i'm ultimately walking away from a year being like well, that was a you know lost cause like no man we got we got some good stuff that i'm gonna rewatch for sure yeah for me i thought it was okay um 
my big disappointment is I, I didn't find the one film that just really grabs me. And I come away I just absolutely love it. Like I, I, this year, I did not have a film that went over four stars. There's quite a pretty large handful of four star films, but I never got to a four point five, which is like which of those films that, that I really truly love. Um, so that was a little disappointing, and there were a couple strategic, serious disappointments as well that we'll talk about later. So moving into our first our first question, uh, James, how many films have you seen from twenty twenty one? Just to give kind of some context. Boy, I feel like this is going to be very similar to last year because I remember the disparity being massive. Uh, I I saw 22 new films this year. Including streaming releases? Yeah. Okay. And so it was, it's low. There's a lot of, um, well, and like that number is disappointing to me because part of my, my biggest, the biggest disappointment of 2022 or 2021 was myself because there are all these, like, I'm like, dude. Yes, you were also my big disappointment of that year. <laughs> Dang it. I was like, man, we're getting like a new Edgar Wright movie in the theater. We're getting a new freaking Wes Anderson. Like, Spielberg. I get to go and I get to see these guys in the big screen. And I ended up missing both of those. Oh, man. And so, like, the thing is, like, I, I know the list when we, when we get to the top 10 at the end, it's very much going to be a top 10 right now, you know, because there were, unfortunately, I had like just a ton of misses. So, mm. yeah, it's 22 in total for me. Um, well, not to brag, but I, I I had 68 this year, which is honestly nothing compared to some like critic friends I have who see like 200 films from any given year, which is, I don't believe them. They're, they're lying. It's not even true. How do you, how do you do that? And still like try to get in a few viewings of like stuff that didn't literally just come out. I have no idea. Yeah. So I'm at 68 for, for 2021. Um, and I, 15 of those would have been home video releases. The rest I was able to catch in theaters. Um, next one, favorite theatrical rerun. Uh, they've been, it's very, it's pretty much stopped by now, but for the, for all, from like the last half of 2021, but for like the last half of 2020, and actually the first half of 2021, they were recycling a whole lot of uh, older films in theaters. Uh, were you able to catch any that uh, stood out to you? Uh, man, there was a lot that I wanted to see, but I wasn't able to go. So I, I know this was, this is something that the theater does in general. So it's not really like a, I got to, you know, it's because of the pandemic. I watched Solar, the, the original Solaris in theaters, which is really cool, but I missed getting to see the third man. I missed getting to see uh, Casablanca. I missed getting to see like Jaws and Indiana Jones. And like, uh. it was just a ton that I was like, man, I want to see this. So Solaris was the one that I got to uh make it out for but there was a lot of stuff that was coming that i was sweet um so i saw a couple i saw a lot of reruns but here's a couple that stood out to me first off the shawshank redemption that was my first time seeing it mm. and it's every bit as great as i'd ever heard it's it's so good it's this beautiful massive epic about humanity and yeah. things like that the the record player scene oh, is one of those tr moments of cinematic like it's transcendent it's just you you or it throws you back in your seat and you're just like wow what it's so good and, and this thing the crazy thing is this was his directorial debut for frank darabont i don't understand like it, it is it's just a per it's a perfectly made movie. Like it feels like the work of a master. Like something Spielberg would have made in his like his like thirtieth year of filmmaking. Yeah. Next one was a uh, Karate Kid. Again, another first time. That movie's really fun. 
I, I see why people liked it. <laughs> I still need to see that. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's just a blast. Uh, then I get to see The Conjuring one and two. Oh, um, nice. Those are really really wild fun movies. I got a crowd of uh, obnoxious teenagers kicked out of The Conjuring two. I'm, oh. I'm very proud of that. It's the one and only time I've ever. You, co- sir. That's the only time I've ever complained about uh, other audience members, but like they were in the back, like all of them were talking at full volume, just like belching loud, just just being absolute morons. Like I'm gonna get you, <laughs> you damn kids. Uh, <laughs> the the thing is, I've I've gone so far beyond that. Well, I don't want to be the person to tell us to where like. I mean, I just had a, a positive emotional reaction to hearing this. We're like, yes, cleanse these theaters of this yeah. filth. But Phoenix theaters are generally pretty good. Like, I, I constantly hear horror stories, but I've experienced very few. That was the worst. Um, last one was West Side Story. Before the, the sequel came out, there was a re-release of that. That's also a really good movie. Um, Matt, it's just a big, ep- kind of, again, I mean, it's using that word, epic. Uh, the cinematography is insane the dance choreography um i'm not in love with all the songs but just it's such a wonderful production still need to see that too all right so next category would be movies you wanted to see this year but missed i'm gonna start this one um i i actually saw pretty much most of what i wanted to see uh there are only a few here uh first one was bo burnham's inside i don't know if it's actually a movie but it's on letterboxd and a lot of people were counting as movies I don't like first when I first heard about this, it was like it looked really stupid, but then I keep hearing more and more about it and my curiosity got sparked. I really don't know much about it. It's I guess it's kind of like a a variety sketch show. Like you saw it, right? No, I actually haven't seen it. I oh. uh my experience with Bo Burnham is mostly just like his his short form comedy. Like I've never watched any of his stand-up specials. All I know is uh eighth grade he directed that a couple yeah. a year or two ago. I hear that's fantastic too. It was pretty good. But I haven't seen that. And so, yeah, just, uh, I, I really like what I've seen from him. And so I'm expecting to really enjoy it. It's just, I'm also like, I like the idea of being like, oh, well, I want to watch everything leading up to it. And so I'm like, I want to watch all of his comedy specials and see him mature into the person he's going to be in inside. And I just <laughs> haven't gotten started on the comedy specials yet. Um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, I have heard, that, I thought the trailer was kind of bad. And then pretty everyone was like, oh, wait, this is the most amazing animated movie that ever that's ever you know, ever been made since, uh, you know, Into the Spider-Verse. Um, so I got to see it. <laughs> that's another one that I missed. Next one is The Matrix Resurrections. Um, the reception for this is interesting, like bo- both from the people who hated it and the ones who loved it have kind of dampened my interest. Like the, the people who love it are saying for reasons that I'm not terribly interested in. So I don't know. It, it's, it looks really weird. I, I definitely want to see it again, but I just never got around to it. But I do need to rewatch um, the trilogy first because I hear it's very self-referential on itself. Yeah, that's another one that I wanted to see, but I was like, I need to... Because I, I actually never seen the third one in the trilogy, and I saw Revolutions one time like 15 years ago. And so... I definitely need to like I'm 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 interested in it just because of what it is. It sounds like a just a weird mm-hmm. kind of movie. And like I'm always down for like weird big budget movies. And so I I definitely want to do uh like a trilogy viewing and then get that in. Then there's the Beatles Get Back. It's not actually a movie, it's it's now a TV series. <laughs> it was on my most anticipated list. 
I think in twenty in our twenty nineteen episode. Uh but it's turned into a series. I don't have nine hours to devote to the Beatles at the moment, but I do want to see it. That's also on my list. <laughs> and like I, I really want to watch that. I'm I wanna just like take a couple days off and have like a, a just a Beatles staycation because I really want to watch that and then I just like watch a hard day's night but then all of the documentaries made about them by other like legitimate filmmakers it's crazy how many like big name directors have just stopped and made a beatles documentary before it's almost so, like they're famous or something yeah what the heck uh next one is cry macho uh clint eastwood roughly 90 years old producing directing and starring in movies just even if it's terrible i feel like i owe him just the, the respect of watching it yeah. um that one is also again i'm just gonna be checking these <laughs> off as they show up that one's also on my list and it's just because like i really like those kinds of movies you know like the the legacy looking back and he's still doing good work like the mule people some people didn't like the mule i like the mule i really like richard jewell sully is good i uh, didn't haven't seen american sniper but like, he's, he's still doing like solid work um next one is oxygen it's like a single location thriller from uh, Alejandre uh, Aja. He did a uh, crawl a couple years back, and he has a you know a couple of well well received uh, horror films throughout his career. Um, and then there's a Vivo, the animated film where Lin Manuel Miranda did the songs for it. Uh, one of several one of several films this year that Lin Manuel Lin Manuel Miranda has been uh, working on. Uh, yeah, so that, that's it for me. What about you? Any that uh, weren't on my list? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so long. I, I'm not actually going to sit and talk about each of them. I'll just list them and say a quick thing. Uh, I wanted to see Come On, Come On because I'm a Walking Phoenix fan. Wanted to see Shiva Baby because I never heard anything about it except that a lot of people liked it. And I said, well, it, it, no conversation is worth having unless my voice has been added to it. So I guess Amen. I'm going to see Shiva Baby, Shiva Baby now. Uh, drive My Car because it just sounds super awesome. Uh, Titan, if I can work up the courage at some <laughs> point to get to. Uh, West Side Story, I was really sad because oh. I loved the trailer and I'm like, I, man, another, just to see another like beautifully shot, like stage music, like a, a musical with real production. Like James, that. it is your fault cinema is dying. See, if you had seen it, cinema would not have died, okay? It's probably true. So I really wanted to see that side. I missed it. I wanted to see Spencer because I really want uh, Kristen Stewart to. <laughs> Every time I hear I see that film mentioned, I flash back to Spencer Confidential, Peter Berg's Netflix <laughs> film from last year. <laughs> Different uh, movies, I think. Well, yeah, that, well, this is yeah, it's a it's like a prequel, I think. Actually, uh, I want to say because I want Kristen Stewart to enjoy the same success as old Robbie Pat. Uh, Nightmare Alley because that cast is insane. It's Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> it's like just stylistically right up my alley. It looks awesome. Tragedy of Macbeth because the two teasers I've seen just like had my jaw dropped. I freak. I love the Coens. It being a, the the only solo Cohen direction uh, is already enough to like make me interested. And freaking Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand to get like that's incredible so really want to see that didn't get to see last night in soho which depresses me out of my mind i'm a fake edward wright or edgar wright fan and everybody should just make fun of me uh same thing with the french dispatch i know i'm not a big fan of wes anderson now because i miss this even though i love him 
uh, Nine Days, that one was one that popped up and like dominated conversation for like a week and has kind of died down, but the conversation about it was so interesting to me. Um, and it was just so positive across like, just like, very, like normal audiences as well as like the more cinephile circles. Everybody just found something to really appreciate and love about it. I really want to see The Humans because I really love Steven Yun and it looks really weird and interesting and is apparently horror, which I didn't know. And so it's like, did he make it or is he just acting in it? He's just acting in it. It's it's like an ensemble, um, but it looks very like it looks eerie. I never would have guessed it as horror, but a friend saw it and said, dude, it's it's like a surprise horror movie and it's really good. And I was like, ooh, interested. Um, and then uh last two i wanted to see mass all i saw for it was the trailer and there wasn't a lot of conversation after the trailer like every everything i saw was positive but i just didn't see it showing up a whole lot but i i really like harry potter reminded me of how much i love jason isaacs and i'm like man if this is a movie that just gets him like gives him a stage and says like just be a be a big actor like win an award kind of performance i really want to see that so I really want to see that. Said I missed it. And then lastly, I want to see the power of uh, power of the dog. I like I freaking love Benedict Cumberbatch. Apparently, he gives like maybe his best ever. Uh, I really like. He's Kirsten. done that in you know seventy percent of the films he's in. So that's <laughs> Which a tall is wild, Whatever they say, he's great again. I believe him. Um, and I, I'm like becoming a just the biggest Jesse Plemons, the Jesse Plemons fanboy. <laughs> like. He is like the ultimate reliable actor. Like I just I know he's gonna be great, and he shows up in these bit parts for like, uh, like the master and uh, why am I going blank? He's he's been an insane amount. Game shows night, up. did you miss that? Uh, you know, obviously Breaking Bad. Let me know. He was in a Jungle Cruise as the villain or something. <laughs> Weird. Like yeah, he's this thing. He's he's everywhere, but he's always so also like. He is freaking incredible and I'm thinking of ending things. And I'm just like, that should have been, I mean, that's an intentionally inaccessible movie in a lot of ways. And it was never going to be the thing that was going to make him a star, but I'm waiting for some like big prestigious director who also draws, like draws a crowd to finally write him the role he needs to blow up because I just freaking love Jesse Plemons. I think he's just going to be a really good supporting actor for a very long time. Yeah, but the thing is that like, there's still there's a tier of supporting actors that he still hasn't reached for some reason. I feel like he's not. I mean, he's in Disney, so I mean, where can you go from there? That's true. But like Willem Dafoe is kind of like I'm thinking like Willem Dafoe, Ben Mendelsohn. He's kind of like no, like Norman Rockwell. I said Norman Rockwell. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Like these actors that I just, I freaking adore. And I feel like get all of this kind of love. And it's to me, I don't know, maybe he has, and I just, I haven't seen enough of it, but I want Jesse Plemons there. All that to say, I've now been seeing it as like a best picture front runner. So I'm like, well, I need to see this. So much for not talking about them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oops. But Hey, that's what the show's for. (laughs) You were going to embrace tradition and make our last episode four hours. So there we go. Next one would be the most underrated films of the year. You know, not necessarily the best, but ones that we really liked that other people either didn't like or didn't love as much as they ought to. Uh, any of those for you, James? Yeah, I've only got uh, a couple picks here. Um, 
there's gonna be a lot there's not gonna be a huge variety in mine just because i was dumb and didn't see enough but for underrated my first pick is eternals uh it's it, correct me if i'm wrong it's the only like rotten uh mcu film yeah yeah that really makes me sad because i i don't know i i mean i'm still you know i'm still seeing these movies and excited about these movies but i am one of the people who's like man i really want to see like a big swing i want to see and not even just a big swing but a swing in a different direction like do something crazy and eternals impressed me in a lot of ways and it it like it's not going to see any return on that and we're not going to get another movie like that i think within the mcu and like i definitely see a lot of people defending it like i I saw like some sincere love for it in different places and that made me happy, but it's also, it's just a lot of people reacted very negatively to it. And so with it being, and I also think just it being the only one in the negatives is absolute insanity. Yeah. So I, I missed the first theatrical run. I only caught it like three days ago, our, my local dollar theater and it's an interesting movie. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think it deserves to be negative, but I also, I think it deserves some of the criticisms it's getting. It's a. It's wild. Like it's. I. It's one of those films that I respect a lot. Also, like I think it makes some just mistakes that are so basic and like, what were you thinking? Kind of things. Um, and you just watch your mouth. <laughs> what are you thinking, James? What were you thinking, man? What's so weird is it was. It was a viewing where like there were various points where I'm like, do I will I not like this? Will I like I had a weird rocky bumpy relationship the whole time? And then like by the end, I was like, man, I really I, I think maybe part of it is just that it gave me that weird, like it was an experience that other movies just don't give me. And I really, really appreciated that. And then some of the issues ended up going away on retrospect and stuff i still have my own handful of issues with it but i think like it's it's also like it depends on how much you weigh certain things and i think that for me where it succeeds are in categories that do carry a lot of weight for me and so it's like man because it succeeded so much over here i these issues that i have with it weigh a little like they weigh a little less I don't know. It, it, it's a it's a very very weird movie, and it, a lot of it plays towards like I don't know my taste. So we're going to alternate through these. Uh, my first most underrated film would be Dear Evan Hansen. Um, well, once in a while, like probably once or twice a year, you get these films where the internet just decides this is what we're hating on today, and everyone just gleefully piles on it because they're feeding friends. It just feeds on itself, and it it's like the film itself kind of becomes irrelevant and just the narrative takes over. Um, I would put this one kind of next to like Batman and the, not Batman, the Batman versus Superman and the last Jedi as film, like some of the most dishonestly maligned films I've seen. Whereas eventually the critiques stopped resembling the film, but the, the thing they're criticizing they're criticizing things that aren't actually in the film. They're saying things that are that they're saying things about it that never happened, or denying that things that definitely did happen in the film ever happened. It's, it gets so weird sometimes, and I'm not going to get into the film itself just because it's going to show up later on my list. But it was really frustrating. You know, I was I was a big fan of the, fan of the musical. You know, love the songs. They they've meant a lot to me. 
And then seeing the the reaction, it was kind of weirded me out that I saw. I was like, I don't, what movie are these people talking about? Um, so yeah, that's when we're just, and I I, I don't want to, you know, say that everyone who disliked it did it for dishonest reasons or that there are no no good reasons to dislike it. But after a point, there was a lot of dishonesty. I feel like in the narratives about this thing where. Like they're literally saying this film does this thing, but that never happens, and and basically and very much denying what the film is actually doing and about. Um, so it's really weird. Uh, the film is very flawed, um, but I, I still think it ends up being very good and, and for me very emotionally powerful in certain areas and just kind of touching on some things that in very insightful ways that I don't often see addressed. Um, so yeah, that would be that, that that would definitely be one of the underrated ones for me. So that is one I missed as well, but I do want to circle back to that one just because the conversation was so massive. Uh, it's been too long since I've gotten to go up to bat for a movie. It's probably so. yeah, probably worth listening to the soundtrack first. Um, it's, it's another one for Pasek and Paul. So they, they have uh, you know, La La Land, The Greatest Showman, and this. All very different, like stylistically. That is. They're, t- they're talented dudes. So my next one is Old. Uh to me, old is whenever <laughs> you gotta separate Shyamalan. You, there's <laughs> there's just unapologetically bad Shyamalan. I'm pretending those movies don't exist. In a world where those don't those movies don't exist, old is bottom tier Shyamalan. Um, it's bottom tier of his movies that I enjoy. But I really liked it, and I, I think it's got a whole slew of problems, but. And Shyamalan isn't, weirdly enough, it's good that this following up that because Shyamalan's somebody that the internet has just like gleefully sunk their teeth into. <laughs> they don't feel bad about it. They're, it's a wolf that bit a rabbit and is shaking it around and having the time of its life. And it makes me sad because I really like the rabbit. I'm like, don't leave it alone. <laughs> and I like this metaphor. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mold it into whatever I need it to be and mean. But I don't feel like people, you know, s- split in a weird, like it's, it was this weird thing that everybody did like, and it had some people be like, Oh, maybe, maybe he's back. But then a lot of people were like, it's a fluke, you know, it's, it's a one-off kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. And so even though I think split gave him a lot of momentum, especially going into glass because glass was as divisive as it was. I think that really, but it's also good. It is good. And so I think that killed a lot of uh, a lot of his momentum and old certainly didn't add the momentum at all. And, you know, if it, I think if people were I, fair, I will, I will say about the reception people, there were a lot of people kind of, even if they didn't like it, kind of giving it the benefit of the doubt. It didn't seem to be as gleeful um, as some of the films from him. Maybe I'm letting too many too many experiences just kind of define it for me. But I just I remember saying a lot of like, it's an absolute garbage trash movie from a director <laughs> who's just done garbage trash. Who's surprised? And I'm like, oh, it, it, Shyamalan has kind of become a litmus test for me for, to like see the kind of film fan someone is because he's somebody that you you get a pass to like. You don't have to think about why you don't like him if he doesn't. If, if you don't have that immediate positive reaction to it and you, you can't really think why and you haven't put a lot of thought into why, you can just say he's bad, list off a couple of reasons. Nobody's going to call you out on it. Like you just, you get a pass to brainlessly dislike him. 
And that really upsets me because I think he is a very, very thoughtful filmmaker um, who, when he's on, tells stories in ways that I don't think anybody else tells. Mm-hmm. And, and it, what, what is weird is, like I said, within the context of the movies of his that I think work, I do think it's toward, like, it's, it may be at the bottom of his movies I enjoy. But I just, you know, for my thoughts, it's at the top of the movies that don't work for me. <laughs> Uh, well, it's close enough. Yeah, like, I, I it, did. I, it's, it is, it's better than his usual bad. <laughs> oh, I didn't love it either, unfortunately. But, oh, and yeah, and the thing, I mean, I, I didn't love it. Like, I would be the first to say I didn't love it, but it's just the thing is, there are things about it where I'm like, what, can we not respect this? Like, there are things just in the way that movie looks, like the weird wide angle. Like, whenever they're playing the scene of them playing hmm. freeze tag on the beach is like. Man, that's why I went. That's why I bought a movie ticket to see stuff like that, just up there. Um, and the the scene without the, the scene with the match made me squirm. The uh, match, I'm blind. And she like they're lighting the match, and every time they oh, see, oh gosh, <laughs> like they're just thing. Like it's such a weird like. Like who writes that? Who makes this movie? Who does this weird thing? And even like and maybe. You shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't because you get movies that are just like this weird and don't work in the ways that it doesn't work. But I just, I respect the crap out of it. And there was too much within it that I'm like, only a guy who who knows film could have done that. that. That's not an accident. This thing that worked over here, this thing that worked among other things that didn't, bad filmmakers don't accidentally stumble upon that thing. And so even amidst all of its flaws, I'm like, don't hate it. Stop hating this. Stop calling this trash. It's not trash. And it just really made me upset because I like Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah. That was a, that was definitely a movie. <laughs> but see, it's not just a, a movie in the way that like, well, that was a movie. It's like... Oh, I, I don't say that about boring movies. <laughs> that was a movie. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's, it's like... That, I, I, that really... That, that was a movie? That happened? What is, what is this weird thing? Um, next one for me would be Cherry. Um, again, almost I would repeat almost one of the same things of what I said about Dear Evan Hansen, where it was a film that the, the internet decided to hate before it ever came out. Like, how dare the Russo brothers think they can make a real movie? And well, the weirdest thing is, like, how is it these guys are the ones that the internet decided to just hack? So, like, the guys who made several of the MCU's best films, like, they, they've made four, I would consider, great blockbusters in a row, which... Does that ever happen? Like I don't, I can't think of many filmmakers who have a consistent run of good mega blockbusters without like other films in between or without a bad sequel. Like it, that's like that run on itself is pretty impressive. But that's kind of besides the point. Um, yeah, but the thing that was really interesting to me about some of the reception was that it kind of revealed just how otherwise intelligent and well versed critics can kind of become cinematically illiterate when it comes to films they don't like like for example the russos filmed this movie where it's in it's separated into chapters and each chapter is done with a very different visual style and language and that's because it's an experiential movie where each one is each segment is grounded in the character's mental and emotional state how he feels about the world we're kind of brought into that and, and the visualization is is of how he is feeling and he goes through just an, a major kind of roller coaster of a life um 
So there's a, there's a wild variation between the styles and the different segments. And the the reviews are like, oh my gosh, it's over-stylized, and the reviews are just showing off. And I didn't read a single negative review that even acknowledged that this was an artistic choice to present the feelings of the character. It's like, how do you become a critic if you can't even tell? Like, and it really frustrates me when people criticize a thing without even like, criticize a thing about a film without even understanding its purpose. Like, figure out its purpose and then decide if it does or doesn't work. Whatever, I'm ranting. Um, I will, uh, this is another film that's going to show up later. So, just I thought I thought I thought it was pretty effective. Very much it reminded me a lot of Train Spotting again with another very wild stylized film that is very much about living in living in in a character's perspective of the world you know, and view of the world around them yeah that is one that i that should have been on my list that i wanted to see because i did really want to see that because i really like tom holland um uh, and he's pretty good i had like the I, I i was i thought that what was it is it 21 bridges is that the mm-hmm. russo produced movie yeah agbo yeah, it, was, it was their first one i believe and they got they yeah, did I'd, extraction both okay yeah i wanted to i was like very interested in whatever like whatever they do after the mcu and then i let this kind of come and go and so it's one that i have definite plans to circle back to okay and the last one would be be snake eyes uh this is not a great film but it is i found it to be an immense amount of dumb fun uh and really i think just a really cool cinematic style it's very slick and it has ninjas with swords like james Show me your best film and tell me how many ninjas with swords are in it. Dang it, there's none. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Henry Golding is always great, but the MVP for me was a guy named Andrew Koji. Uh, he plays Storm Shadow pre-Turning Evil. I don't know a lot about G.I. Joe, uh, but he was he, he was kind of a revelation inside of a really dumb film. Uh, but I, I found it to be a lot of fun, and the hate seemed a bit excessive. <laughs> Yeah, to me, that's one that I'm gonna throw on at some point and be like, I had a good time. I don't know what if, I don't know what everybody's arguing. About. That's pretty much what I feel about it. But the hate was like, there was a lot of hate for it. It's like, hey, there's some. I can't stuff. imagine like building up the energy to hate a movie like that. Be like, it, it, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. like. Why are you? I mean, there are people who care about GI Joe, so. Well, and that's their problem. Uh, so the next one would be our pleasant surprises, films that we weren't expecting to like that uh, turned out to be pretty good. Uh, James first. Okay, so I actually don't have any in this category. Um, maybe that says something about me, but... I mean, you, you were definitely a bit more selective with your viewings of 2021 than I was. I saw yeah, a lot like, more. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't see nearly as much. Um, and like the things that I anticipated liking... I, I ended up liking and the things that I anticipated disliking, uh, I ended up disliking. Uh, and there wasn't really, there actually wasn't really a lot of those. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, there, there wasn't that I didn't stumble across that movie that I, I didn't really want to watch, but was then like surprised. All right. Well, I got a couple. Uh, first one was nobody. Um, the Bob, Bob Odenkirk, uh, kind of John Wick knockoff. And yeah, I thought you know, it looked like a, it looked like a cheap John Wick knockoff, but instead it was a really fun John Wick knockoff. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually like a pretty strong, very tight little action film that no knew exactly the type of trashy violence schlock it was and having fun with that. Like it, it knows it's goofy and is playing on that. Um, but it also had like a 
surprisingly strong character story at the center about a man kind of reclaiming his masculinity by slaughtering a bunch of Russian mobsters, you know, as one does. Uh, but it, it works better than it sounds <laughs> within the film. Uh, it, 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 it has a Christopher Lloyd at like, I don't know how, how he's like 80 now, I think, oh, but wow. he's know. shooting a bunch of Russian mobsters. So like you, you want to see that obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to see that. I'm a big Bob Odenkirk fan. Saul Goodman is one of the all time great side he is, characters. He is very good. Uh, and so yeah, that'll probably be one I'll eventually get to. Next one was a uh, uh, The Witcher: Nightmare of the Wolf. Uh, the reason I wasn't excited for this, despite being a big Witcher fan, more of the books than the series, but I'm a fan of the series, was because Netflix makes terrible trailers, as always. Uh, but it turned out to be pretty good. Uh, it's just very you know, lots of entertaining, grisly Witcher versus monster action, and I mean very, very, very grisly. Nice. Uh, and it, it it tells some pretty important backstory for the series, um, and I think has a you know surprisingly effective emotional core about the you know the personal cost that comes with this life for the characters. Uh, but all it was just it was just a you know fun animated action film. Um, final one would be Venom: Let There Be Carnage. <laughs> this this is this movie is insane. Um, I didn't know what to expect from it because despite Tom Hardy being great. The first film was very mediocre, and I adore Andy Serkis as an actor, but I didn't love his Mowgli movie, and the trailers weren't amazing, the buzz was middling, and so then I saw it, and I realized that this is an unashamed, balls-to-the-wall B-movie, very much like Malignant, where this is a silly movie, and the director knows he's making a silly movie, and he's having all the fun in the world with, you know, in how he's making it. And it's, it's never concerned with anything more than just being as fun and wild and ridiculous as possible in any given second. Um, it's it's kind of a callback to just a sillier era in Hollywood, except it has a massive budget and really slick filmmaking. I had the whole theater to myself, and I was just sitting there cackling at how stupid and fun it was um i i don't i don't know how this movie got made like because usually people like these superhero films are very self-serious uh and i i don't know like how did he make this and sneak it past the studio it's so ridiculous tom hardy was born for this role the dynamic between eddie and venom like is so much fun just like Watching the trailers, I'm laughing out loud. Catch up! Like, just the, the ridiculous, yummy kind of interactions between the characters. Uh, it's great. It's not very good, but it's great. Yeah. I mean, you know that, like, we've had friends actively try to, like, discourage me from seeing it and just vent about how much they loathe this movie. And it's been so counterproductive for their cause because as they go about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, I've got to see this. Because to me, like, I really appreciate that kind of thing where it's like, dude, I don't know who said yes to any of this. I don't know. Somebody forgot to look at the dailies somewhere. Somebody forgot to check up on Andy and he came back and he's like, hey, I did this. All right. So next one would be our least favorite films of 2021. Starting, again, starting with you, James. All right, I got. I only got two here. Uh, first one is F nine, baby. <laughs> what a I, surprise! 
I had gone through this whole series a few years ago with a friend who loves, he's a really good friend. And he'll watch some of my, like some of the movies that I really love and he'll love them for the right reasons. But he more than me can go into these. This is, with this friend, he showed me Columbiana thinking I could bring it onto Underrated and I watched it and that is a bad <laughs> movie. Uh, but like I, I went through, and this is only like, this is before Fate of the Furious. Um, and Hobbs and Shaw. So I just, I went through one through seven and they were enjoyable because he's so, he like, as the stunts happen, he literally screams. He's like, yes! It's like- Am I this friend? You're not this friend, (laughs) but you would probably have fun watching these movies with this friend. And so the new one was coming out. And because we went through this marathon, he and his wife were like, hey guys, we, we gotta get the group to go see it. Like we've got to. And I was like, you know what? I'll go, but only like on one condition, like you've got to watch this as if we're watching them at your house. And surely enough, whenever that car is crossing and the little cable gets wrapped around it and it starts swinging <laughs> a group of like 10 people. And unfortunately I'm on the opposite side that he is. And yet even still, as that car is swinging, I hear, yes, from his side of the theater. And he's like, he is shouting for joy during the stuff stuff. So it was fun in that aspect, but because I didn't get- uh, Yeah, so, so why is this on your worst list? <laughs> Because, okay, so with that aside, the thing is that was the one moment I really got to hear him. I didn't get to hear the commentary. Instead, I was I was sitting by a, another friend who has more similar tastes, um, especially in things that we aren't really a big fan of. And so I didn't get to have like that secondhand joy. And so outside of that one moment that I got to hear my friend shout, it was really just like me sitting there for two and a half hours going like, and this is just it's not for me like in a weird way i enjoyed the family melodrama like i enjoyed some of the soap opera elements between like john cena and dom and like the i could see the brotherly resemblance i thought was the funniest line in the entire world considering the actors um but like when they're talking about betrayal and like you did this to dad it's like if if you don't lose this like i'm like this is so silly but I actually had fun with like the dialogue and the characters. Unfortunately, it feels like anytime I go five minutes of enjoying that, I have to sit through this 15 minute sequence of, it's like, it's not, to me, it's not even like the fun kind of insanity. It's like, man, we've already jumped off of buses. We've already did like, this is just, I, I, I got action fatigue, like one third into that movie. And I realized I still had two thirds left and I'm like, Oh man, it was a very, very long viewing. And I thought that we had reached like the climax like three times before we really did. And so. Being you sounds really sad. There are other movies that (laughs) give me that kind of rush and joy. But man, this was not it. Not for me. So my my first least favorite would be Don't Breathe 2. So clear of that one. So when I first heard about this, I thought that's probably not a good idea. Then I heard it would be centered around the old blind man. I thought this is this sounds like a really really bad idea. Then I saw it and it was far it was a far worse idea than I ever could have imagined. It's truly hard to express just how misguided this movie is. Like if you've seen the first film, you know what a truly horrible evil man Stephen Lang is in that movie. <laughs> I was gonna say in that movie. <laughs> and then they make him the hero. 
like not just the lead, but he is the good guy in this movie. I that's such an insurmountable problem to start off with. Oh, but even if you could accept that, the plot of this movie is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It is I I could not believe they actually did what they did. Thank you, thank you, we want to watch it. It, it is truly shocking, but on top of just the, those two, like a whole a insanely bad plot, and the worst decision ever made in cinema history stacked on top of each other, it's just kind of mediocre. Um, you, you know, Fede Alvarez didn't direct this one. His co-writer, uh, Roto Segueas, I believe his name is. This was his his debut, and it just it didn't have, you know, Alvarez's mastery of horror like that. That from with mm. the first one was just. A masterclass in direction. This one was just fine, and it's also just really ugly and mean spirit, which was which was the first one, one one as well. But they took it to another level. It's just, it's not good. It's so disappointing. I I mean, you and I share a very real love for the first Don't Breathe. Like that movie is just mwah, Chef's Kiss. So freaking good. Yeah. And like, whenever this was first announced, and I thought that Fede Alvarez might come back, I was really excited because. I didn't see the girl who is which one is the girl the girl in the spider's web Web, which is a very well-directed film but it doesn't have a script and so i like with that mixed reception i was like let's let's bring let's 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 like hold something that'll tempt alvarez back over to horror because i need his style of spanish horror hey man he uh directed the reshoots for chaos walking so there's that for you well there we (laughs) go we'll see but I was really hoping he would come back to the director's chair. And whenever I found out he didn't, I thought it was kind of like you. It was just a series of like, well, that's a bit of like, that's disappointing. And then it was, it's going to be him. It's like, oh, that's, uh, he's not the hero. And then it's like, it was just all of these things are like, the more I find out about this, why is this a thing? And so, yeah, never ended up getting to it. Next one for me would be uh, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Uh, this is just a bad movie. The action direction was bad. The acting was bad. The dialogue was bad. Like, as you saw from like Venom of Three Carnage, I can enjoy a bad movie if it's well made, as in, you know, quote unquote, well made. Like, it's good craftsmanship, good acting. Like, they're trying. Like, this was just cheap and ugly and just incoherently directed. And the, and worst of all, it was a martial arts movie, but the martial arts was never really any good. Uh, it's not good. <laughs> this will show up in a different category for me. Uh, my next, I have two least favorites. My other one is John Lee Hancock's The Little Things. Um, I didn't necessarily have high expectations, but I like Jared Leto. And obviously Denzel deserves all the respect in the world. And I've been rooting for Rami Malek for a while. And I'm waiting for that rooting for him to really pay off. I mean, he got a best actor Oscar. Yeah, but I never saw that because that <laughs> movie looked boring. But I like I I was like, I want to see this. And I know like I know it predates seven. So it's like you can't just without caveat call it like a Fincher ripoff. Yeah, it's, but like, it's, it's just, like a thirty-year-old script. Yeah, but I do like stylistically. It's well, you know, what? I feel like I can even complain about it without bringing up Fincher. Like <laughs> the, I think the editing is like really, really bad. Like there's, there's no, 
I don't know if there's a better word for it. I always just use the word tissue. To me, there's no like connective tissue between these scenes where they're like, we got to go over there, cut to over there, we're there. And then like, there, there'll be scenes where like things that are like, time is really ticking. They're like, we got to send so-and-so out. And then like, we cut like, a, like two minutes later and like so-and-so is back. And it's like, oh wait, we're just, we're here. Like, like geography was just not even really a thing. It felt like we're, we're just cutting from the headquarters to the place that we need to go. And it just doesn't like it doesn't feel alive. The city doesn't feel alive. These people don't feel alive. They don't feel like they go out and do people things. It just it feels it feels like a cardboard thing. Um, and I don't think Randy Malik is very good in it. Um, I think Jared Leto is having fun, but I don't think he really. It, it feels he like he would be the best role in a bad B movie. Yeah, but he's in a, not, a very serious movie, and he sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, he's his whole thing, and like that's the thing. Like in a bad B movie, he's he's fun and it's weird, and it's he's not a real person because the problem with this movie is like he looks like that weird guy who works in some store and like stocks stuff in the back aisle, never washes his hair, and like doesn't really like it's just socially awkward. Like that's how he looks. And then he's this like perverse but charismatic kind of character where he's like he's like going for jokes and he's being weird and exaggerated like you, like there's three different ideas for a character that he's trying to play out all at once which like you said could be fun in a bad like it just in some sort of weird B movie to have fun with but that's not at all what Hancock set out to do with this movie and so he's weird and then I also just thought Denzel was a little like just a little stilted in it there's a it's just kind of like there were a couple of scenes that i thought he did well in but all in all it was like there the moment i think the moments with flashbacks slash ghosts were really effective like i thought a really cool twist on what they were doing and i think denzel has moments of what of typical denzel brilliance but it's the movie is like really lackadaisical and it like which is Hancock's style and it works sometimes in more charming hokey hometown films like I think the highway the highwayman is pretty good um but yeah it's it's it is just there's a lot of just choices that don't pan out and the story itself just isn't I didn't dislike it as much as you but it's just not that interesting yeah the 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 central crime they're like there was no intrigue in uncovering the mystery and trying to set the trap and trying to like follow, like it was just at every turn that I was supposed to like be taken in by something. I was like, none of this is really well executed. And so I felt like this weird muted version of something else. And like when it ended, I was just like, man, that was like two hours that I just don't feel was rewarded at all, which sounds like it's super harsh. I'm not saying it's the worst movie in the world. It's just, I really do think there was no there was no category that it like it truly got a passing grade in. It, like cinematography was nice. John Schwartzman is pretty good. It was nice, but like, and again, maybe this is where I go back to Fincher. But I'm like, this is what <laughs> like crime movies. I don't think it's trying to be Fincher. Like, I think it has its own, its own kind of look to it. Yeah, but I, even in its look, I thought it was just kind of like, just I don't know. And maybe maybe my perception of it was painted by not really enjoying anything else about it, but. I don't know. Mm. Uh, next one for me would be The Ice Road, the Liam Neeson, Jonathan Hensley movie. This one was... I, I've enjoyed some of this you know, late stage 
old man niece in action films, mainly the ones by uh, Jaume Collette, Sarah. Um, Cold Pursuit was pretty good as well. But oh, I want to see they've Cold gotten they've gotten significantly worse in the last few years, and this was the worst of the bunch, I think. It f- main problem was it just felt unfinished. Like there are visual effects shots that look like animatics um, oh. and previs and stuff. It's like it it's not. I don't I don't think it was color graded. Like it's it would it looks like digital photography. Just like they shot exactly what they shot on the day really weird in that front the editing is sometimes just completely incoherent it just, it just it's like it, it never would have been a good movie but it is made so bad by just how incomplete it feels um ne- neeson announced that he's retiring from action films in within like he has he has like two one or, one or two more in the pipeline but after he's retiring i'm fine with that I, I i have enjoyed quite a few of these movies they're they're dumb fun but I think it is definitely time to hang it up because he's kind of gravitated towards lower and lower budgets and just and just I think more and more inexperienced directors and lazier concepts. Did he say retiring from acting or retiring from action? Action. This kind of this spate of action films, you know, oh, since taken. Yeah, that's, I'm ready. Like bring back, bring him back to like. like I, I this is like a film sin. I haven't seen Schindler's List, <sighs> but even having not seen Schindler's List, it's. I I have the good sense to be sad that Oscar freaking Schindler is out here making this movie. Like, I mean, this is a controversial opinion, but Schindler's List is really really good. <gasps> you should see it. And the final one, my my actual worst film of the year was Anton Fuqua's Infinite. This is one of those movies where I am absolutely one hundred one hundred percent convinced that there was massive behind the scenes upheaval. It's like that kind of chaos walking, um, or what's the Branagh film with the fairies? Uh, oh, Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl, where you're watching it, it's like nothing about any of these choices makes any sense. And you know the filmmaker is not just competent, but I think quite good at their job. When you, And so it's... Like I, I am a, I, I only, I, I only watched it because I'm a big Anton Fuqua fan, despite him often gravitating towards bad scripts, and I'd heard all the bad reviews, so I, I was like, I'm gonna watch it anyway. You know, I've seen all those other films, I'm gonna watch it, and it is, it is laughably bad. It, Mark Wahlberg is really miscast. It's a film where all, I think, there's like, I'd say ninety percent of the dialogue is just pure terrible exposition. Um, <laughs> Like just the action isn't even good, and Anton Foucault's really usually really good at action. It has Dylan O'Brien for like five minutes. Why? <laughs> um, the only good thing about it is Chiwetelagio for is so <laughs> committed to this character, and he's he's going for it. And there's a scene where he's waterboarding Toby Jones with honey. And he's raving this mad monologue about nihilism and the meaningless of life. And it's it's amazing. It's a beautiful cinematic moment of wonderful acting. And I don't even know if it's good writing, but he delivers it. And the rest of the movie's terrible. Um, yeah. So I, w- I would say watch it for Chiwetelagio for but he's not in it enough to even justify that. It's just bad. Yeah, I hadn't heard about it until you had talked about 
and then just reading reviews, I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, it, it, got, it got completely dumped on Paramount Plus. It was It's like a $100 million movie made for theaters. And like, you know what? Paramount Plus looks pretty good for this. <laughs> Up next would be our favorite scenes of 2021. Uh, first off, let's start with you, James. Uh, so I'll go movie by movie and just list a couple of scenes from the movies that really um, that really stood out. So the first movie that I had with scenes that I, that I chose from was Pig. Um, and there are three moments that stood out. I mean, I, I adore this movie, but there, there are moments that I want to talk to you or talk about. One is um, there's a scene where he's he's walking down the street. And I believe I only saw it once. It's been months, but I, be, I believe it's like the house he used to live in. And he goes to it and it's occupied by other people. And there's a kid playing on like this toy drum, like this weird kind of toy drum Fisher. It's just something. And he just goes in the backyard. Oh, and it, yeah, it definitely was the house that he had lived in before. And he just sits by this kid and he talks about like planting the tree and like the kids banging on the drum. And then he gives him the drum and lets him plant. Like it is such a nice, tender, lovely moment that it like, it just made me feel good in the theater. I'm like, what? this is sweet. This is so sweet. Like, there's a man who's been a lot and here's this sweet, adorable little kid and they're just sharing this little thing and he's playing his little drum for him. And I'm like, I just, I, you know, it's nice to break up the cynicism in a lot of these movies that are often incredible with, you know, like you can be incredible and also just be quiet and lovely and sweet and it works. And so that moment, it really stands out to me. Yeah, that, that's very sweet, but I couldn't fully, fully enjoy it because I was so worried the entire time that his dad was going to come out of the house with a baseball bat and get rid of this <laughs> creepy man who's talking to his kid in his backyard. Like, it's a very bad scenario to get caught in. <laughs> it, it definitely is. The thing, So I guess I'm fortunate that I did never cross my mind because I probably would have had the same tension. <laughs> because, But as it said, I was just watching it being like, oh, this is so sweet. That's just how... How nice. It's, he's a little kid. He's just talking to a kid about living. They're like, more of this, please. Um, and then without spoilers, um, there's the scene towards the end where like things have like the movie is mostly wrapped up. We're driving back to where we came from. And it's like this 30 seconds of him resting his head on this on, on the car window. And to me, it was one of the most like one of the best moments of catharsis. Or it's just like a lot all of the events are being processed for him and you just it's another one I I think part of why I ended up responding so much to this movie is because it has these quiet nice tender little lovely moments of just sweet humanity like it's a weird movie it's a bonkers movie there's all sorts of weird absurdity to laugh at but it's like it's also just really sweet and tender at times and so I really love that scene towards the end of just like it's kind of this decompression moment. And I think it was like, there's not a lot to it, but it just really stood out to me. And then the last couple, just real quick, is the scene with him and his previous student whenever he's in her bakery, I think is another lovely little human moment where they're just, it's just people talking and it's very sweet and nice. The moment that really got me there was, you know, he asked, could I get another cookie? And then he walks outside and just silently hands it to a one of the wolf brothers i forget which one yeah and it's like oh they're bonding it's it's so touching yeah it's like it's it's just it's it's nice it's sweet and it's it's such a weird movie for all these sweet moments that happen but it really affected me and then the last scene is 
the scene where he actually like it's it's the final moment of cooking in the movie where we're like it's, it's this final climactic confrontation thing and we just spend like two minutes with these big close like these close-ups on his hands as he's preparing the dish and for me it was just like it was that movie magic of like oh this looks so cool the music's love like it's just it was such a sweet, like, you know, the, like there's like the, the Toy Story 2 scene of fixing Woody where it's like, mm-hmm. oof, it's just, it, there's something about All it. All of Ratatouille. Have, yeah, like where it's, it, it's like it's something happened. Something, somewhere along when you were making the scene, you just stumbled upon like greatness. And that's how that scene was to me. It was just like all of these extreme close-ups on at like, and like the the precision of his hands as he did everything, it wasn't like, a, oh, and here's a montage of making things like in a weird way, because of what we know about the character at the time and his reputation as a chef, we know what all of this means, like we, the way he moves everything, the way, like it just, it felt so personal. Um, yeah, I just, those those are scenes from that movie. Sorry, I was I went too long probably, but those scenes from that, I really loved. This is probably a little late for this, but there will be spoilers in this section. Um, so if we mention a movie you haven't seen, just skip for a few times. Um, okay, good. Yeah, like I, I don't think we can do full justice to these sequences, these scenes without, you know, spoiling them. My first one would be At the Speed of Force from uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is a moment of just pure virtuoso cinematic magic. Um it's when when Flash turns back time and saves the world. It's impo- It's all just in the filmmaking, the editing, the slow mo. Yes, slow mo is amazing, <laughs> um, and the music. Uh, Junkie XL's track at the speed of force is one of my favorites from the year. It's it's just kind of spellbinding, and just the visualization of the world kind of following him rebuilding itself as he runs into a void and the ground is repairing itself underneath each step and the way he's like these electricity is sparking off to the street lamps and uh it's 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 just incredible like i i i, I feel like i have to like bring up pictures like this. look at this shot this is amazing <laughs> um i'm assuming that's one of yours as well <laughs> oh absolutely and it was so funny you know as the reviews for the the snyder cut were coming out this common refrain was like they had him push a Russian family in a truck. Like, why is that what happened? Like, there was, everybody just kept being like, how did Flash go from what Snyder had him do to this thing? Like, and, and so that was one of the things that I was really excited about. When, like, we, you and I went and met up with some friends. Uh, Ryan, who's like, been was, on this podcast a lot. Uh, yeah. Just a Vuk, Kiefer Wynn. A lot of people have actually shown up on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we all got to in one house watch this for the first time together. And so whenever we were watching it, like that was one of the things I was most excited about. I was like, dude, what did they do with the flash? And then this happens. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm one of those people on YouTube going like, what? This is incredible. Who Like who cuts this? And so, yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favorites. It's just, like you said, it, it's not just, Oh, that was a cool moment. It's like, no, it's, something happened something special just happened in this movie this there's so many movies in this genre and he found a way to make running fast and time like he just you've never seen it like this you've never seen a filmmaker direct this thing like this it's just so cool and and like like the 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 score is just incredible the way it like the way the scene begins and like as you realize what's about to happen it's just it's so good yeah 
And I also had another scene from Justice League, just while we're on that subject. The game of Keep Away with Steppenwolf uh, uh, with the Amazonians. Yeah, on Themyscira, I think, is very cool. There's a lot about that. that like, just the, the flexing the arrows. Like, I think that's where some of the CGI doesn't work as well, but it's just in its in its construction. I really like that scene a the lot. The horses are not great. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they don't look great. But it's just, it's such a well- I think there's it's there's so much about it that's just so cool and fun and like just yeah, brutal. Steppenwolf like, is genuinely scary. Like it's like swinging axes and like messing people up. It's it's cool. So for the next one for me, uh, I'm counting. And I think you and I both do the same. Where I I count theatrical release and not festival releases. And so mm-hmm. I have Minari. Probably should have mentioned that at the top. Oh yeah, sorry. But yeah. So, I have Minari here. I want to just put all of Minari. Um, <laughs> but uh, see, so the the scenes between Jacob and David, uh, the father and son, there, there are so many moments between them. It's basically, I'll just, that's, I'll let myself be as broad as that. It's just the moment like whenever they're out there digging the well and he's like scream and he's, he's like trying to get him to really raise his arms and shout <laughs> and stuff it's just it's such a the kid's adorable he's so adorable he's so sweet it's it's just i really i really love meaningful family dramas where it's like i really saw a family i saw like that was a family those are probably like stuff like that works and then whenever you can find real bonds and affection within that it just it it really means a lot and then also any shots of the farming like there are some top-down shots of like the tractor going under the camera where it's like we're just staring down at their farmland and the tractor has it. I'm like that that was beautiful that was absolutely gorgeous another another se- sequence is where the music really makes it oh my gosh that score is just ridiculous uh my next one would be every fight scene in shang chi um uh, you saw, oh, you saw yeah. this right oh yeah um i'm no stranger to hyperbole on this show but i genuinely think that these are some of the best fight scenes since the first matrix uh and, and i think that's the most apt comparison because both are very much leaning towards that kind of is it wuxia? i don't know how it's pronounced that kind of that style of wire foo action and also they're both shot by bill pope and they both have they, they they'll take the Asian style of choreography, but put in like the Western rhythms uh, and kind of pacing for it. And for me, like that, that's my favorite kind of action. Like when 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 Westerner apes Asian style really well, but also kind of adds the way Western people kind of pace their action. Um, and th- there's as there's the ju- the fight in the jungle, the bus fight, the scaffold fight, even the fight at, like all the the fight, the massive battle, the climax, like. Whenever action is happening, I am just in awe. Like just this the speed of what the speed of the moves, the constant creativity of like it is just it just they just keep going and they never wear out you know wear out their welcome run out of steam, and they're from the beginning to the end they are the most cool and creative things you've ever seen. Um, the uh, the second unit director and action coordinator uh, Brad Allen. Um, who's basically, if you think of a movie with really awesome hand-to-hand combat in the last decade, he probably had some involvement in it. Um, he's that guy and he, he died 
shortly after, the, maybe I think maybe even before this film released. But oh, this is like his magnum opus. Um, and it, it's wild coming from a director who never directed action before. But like, and it's I, 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 it's one of those things. Where like, did he just did he succeed by simply giving it over to the stunt guys? Um, or did he actually have a lot of involvement? I don't know. I guess we'll see when the sequel happens and you don't have the same stunt man, but literally the same stunt coordinator, but it's just, it is so just virtuoso again, using that word. Yeah. I like the, the opening, like very like crouching tiger, hidden dragon fight. Mm-hmm. I like that. That really caught me. I'm like, Oh wow. Like that was like, that was a, such a, like a cool scene, but, uh, but I kind of had that like a, a level of cynicism being like, you're going to intentionally like really go for that style. Like you put a lot of effort into it and that's, that could be their thing. But it's like, I know the fights aren't going to really look like that as the film goes on. That was this like this intentional homage to a movie like that. And then the busing happened. And it was one of those moments where you just, you sit up in your seat where you're like, wait, what? Did, like, did I see what I just saw? And as that fight kept progressing, I was like, I was getting like progressively more excited. I see like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was like, that I was going to get to see stuff like this. Like the, just the way he like, it's that one shot of like, he swings on the pole up through like the top part and comes back down. I was like, and then goes into the what? driver's seat. Yeah. I'm like, what, what is going on? Are you allowed to do this? I, Cause I was really worried about this because the director had done no action and like his films have been like really basic indie handheld kind of thing. I was like, he has no style. Like, can he direct martial arts action? And the thing that, that kind of, I was like, okay, I think we're in good hands. It was a shot in the trailer where he kind of walks in between these two people, punches them both in the face and then goes up and does a double kick in each of them. It's like, okay, I think we're in good hands. Yeah. That, that incredible, like, side shot of him just going down the bus is like so many cool moments and then you know we get to the scaffolding fight and i'm like golly dude this is so cool so yeah what a that was a very good time uh so my next scene is is the uh, the the atreides family leaving caladan montage in dune uh there's a lot of different, like, big, huge-scale epic moments from this that I could choose from, but this is one of those ones in the theater where I was just like, oh, man, this is, like, speaking my language. But it's, like, it's it's Paul, you know, he's down in the beaches, and we're seeing the water run through the rocks and the sand and stuff, and then we hear uh, Zimmer's bonkers score just blasting up, and we see all the ships taking off and everything preparing to leave, and, the, like, the weird space worm portal ship that, like... It's this huge, it's just a trans, like it's a transitional scene. It's like we're going from Caladan to uh, Arrakis, but it's like, it we're, we're going to make leaving crazy. And it's just like, it's this really, really cool montage of, of everything just being taken from this planet on. And it was like it, big and bombastic and in IMAX with the huge, like with the surround sound, it was just a fantastic theater moment. My next one would be... Uh... This the the kind of the the two songs words fail and so big so small from Dear Evan Hansen, um, these come at the end so I can't I don't want to say too much about them, uh, but they made me cry a lot. Um, the song particular like words fail in particular was something that I, I've been listening to for several years before I saw the movie and it's been very impactful and important to me, and then seeing it in context of the film. And then, but then going into so big, so small, which is a Julianne Moore singing to her son, and 
I cried probably the hardest I have ever cried at any movie. Um, it really, really broke me. Um, there's a, there's a real just intuition and honesty about kind of the, the way it deals with kind of extreme introversion and loneliness and just people struggling in that, that kind of realm. Um, it just, it felt so real to things I've dealt with. Uh, and it, it really broke me. It's just really beautiful. I definitely want to see incredible it. song with incredible, with really, really good performances. And yes, Ben Platt is too old, but he is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my next scene is, is the scene with the giants from the green Knight. Uh, this is another one of those scenes that it's like, I, I mean, what's going on? What is that? It's I, I just, just watch it. Just like what it all means, what any of this is, it doesn't matter. There's, there's a particular shot where like, they're like, they're doing this weird call and we just cut to an image of three giants out in this, this fog and the camera just keeps pushing in and in and in on these giants as they're like, you know, like they're, I don't know what you call it, not humming, but, you know, doing whatever they're doing. It's such a, a wild, weird, you could cut it out. Like, what does it matter? But it's just that whole scene was this weird, surreal moment of like, I'm watching this weird thing happen on the screen, but like, it looks so incredible. And the sound design is so incredible. And it's like, I'm, I'm in another world right now. And I just, I was like giddy in that scene. The shot I thought you were going to mention is when he like raises his axe and joins oh. in the yell and the fox starts howling beside him. Yeah, that moment is incredible too. Like that, that I mean, really, it's it's the whole scene. It's like that that whole scene to me is just so like somebody went out and made this thing. It's just so cool. Uh, next one for me would be the dinner table scene in Black Widow where kind of all of this, this family comes together. You have... Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, and Rachel Weiss all together. Um, just it's just this really <laughs> a lot of of broken people. It's a very likely scene of just incredible actors with you know really strong material acting and being emotional and just dealing trying to figure out what you, did you see this movie? Uh, I have not seen it yet. Just like what they are, like what are they even a family does it doesn't mean anything like and it's just florence Pugh in particular as kind of the youngest the baby of the family trying to reckon with what this important part of her life that was also fake like what does that mean is it real do i even have a family is like like it was she's she's just she's phenomenal um i mean just that whole scene it's just a really lengthy dialogue scene of just really strong drama um, the midst of a really cool Marvel movie, um, but yeah, that's my that's my next one. I heard Florence Pugh like is really fantastic in it, and yeah, that that makes me excited. I want her to have just tons and tons of success. Um, so my next scene, um, there's a couple things, and I'll just try to go through it real quick. Um, the first is the the Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper cameos <laughs> from Licorice Pizza. I, there's there's been conversation, and I, I think you you and another friend think this as well that the movie is at its most alive with these celebrity cameos. And in a weird way, there's aspects of that that I 
there's feelings of it. I, I don't, I wouldn't word it the same way, but there's feelings of it that I agree with where it's the movie is at its most heightened and crazy. Uh, to me, I like that it works that way because I, I wouldn't want the movie to feel like that through and through. I like the just kind of vibe, like the kind of very low, low key vibe hangout movie. And I feel like that doesn't work at all with that style if it were the norm. And so it allows these moments to just be these like little episodic things that happen. Uh, and I also like, I think they're so incredibly well shot. Like Bradley Cooper is just a madman in it. He's so entertaining. He's so ridiculous. It's, it's, it's legitimately ridiculous. And the, the entire scene with the truck going back, down backwards, like the way that that whole scene, the tension keeps racking up. We're like, where he's just completely trashed his room and now he's coming back and we have to take him but now we've left him but now we're out of gas and we're rolling backwards and now we're, i'm sitting on the sidewalk and he's coming by like it's just the scene like that that is my i don't really love the film but that is my favorite scene of the film like everything with bradley cooper there's a scene where like he's his car ran out of gas and he is furious and he's marching down the street in a rage he throws a trash can through a through a window yeah and he walks by and he walks out of frame, and then two really attractive women walk walk into the frame from the other direction, and then he comes like kind of skipping back into frame after them. Hey, ladies! It's, it's... He's, he's like y'all like peanut butter sandwiches. Man, I love this. <laughs> so ridiculous. And then uh, the I, I really love the show. Like visually, the the sequence with Sean Penn, I think, is like ridiculous. There's a moment I forget the actor's name, but. Sean Penn calls like one of his Tom Waits. Do oh yes, yes. Um, he calls him from the bar because he's smoking at the bar. And there's a moment where like he gets up and he's got all of this smoke wafting around him, and they've got like this this harsh lighting behind him. And so the way like his silhouette just steps through all of his cigarette smoke, and it does that cool movie thing where you like when movies highlight smoke like this, where you, the character walks through and all of a sudden it, like it swivels around him and he's got this like gravelly voice as we see this silhouette walk through the light. And I'm like, Ooh, we, I love that. The later shot for me was um, later on out with their outside and Cooper Hoffman is running across the field with just the spotlights going on. It's, it's pretty it, incredible. It looks so good. And like really that whole scene to me, like the, even just like the, the side tracking shot where, it's just everybody's silhouette from the side as he's leading this huge group of people out at night to watch this stunt. I, I love all of that. Um, and then lastly, any running scene. <laughs> I, the, there's quite a few of them. There's a lot of them and I love them all. Like PTA has these kinds of, he, he, it's a weird trend where he has running scenes where we're like, we're looking at the side of a character and we're matching their pace. He does it in most of his movies, actually, now that I think about it. Tom Cruise has realized that this is the best shot ever and he does it every time. <laughs> yeah. And so like, it turns out it just looks super good. And and the scene where like all of the cars are stalled and out of gas as the music picks up and he's like, I don't know, it's the end of the world. And they're just like running through the cars and, and then the camera pulls out and the gas station goes in frame. Like, all of the running scenes are in it, and then that is my favorite among them, where it's just like, I don't know, it's just so big and cool to me. Mm -hmm. My next one would be uh, from Last Night in Soho. Uh, this is in the trailer, so it's not too much of a spoiler, but when she, when she goes back in time into the 60s and goes into the club and dances with Matt Smith, and it is Edgar Wright just showing off how good of a director he is. And it's just, from a technical standpoint, as because like you have... 
we're switching between Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, Thomas and McKenzie as the same character. And just the dancing is awesome. The camera is just doing things you couldn't imagine. Just the, the, the joy of going to the club in the 60s and this sense of just you know, waking up in a brighter time. Um, it, it's just a, such an incredible bit of filmmaking. So much, so much fun and so, so alive. I have zero surprise hearing you list that because in the trailer alone, whenever, whenever he spins Anya Taylor Joy and she comes around as Thomas C. McKenzie, I was like, wait, wait, <laughs> what? Do you want to run that by me again? It was so cool. So I'm, that makes me more excited knowing that the, the sequence is just incredible. My final uh, scene that I have listed here is. Uh, and I'll say the name before I say the event, is from Malignant. So if you haven't seen Malignant, <laughs> skip. But there is, I, I saw this with a friend, and we were like, I was into it the whole time because I, I feel like I caught on the, I, di I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what kind of weird movie it's going to be. And so at first I was like, I can't tell if it's trying to be good and there's just bad stuff. Like even at the beginning with when she walks in and turns off the TV and is like, I was watching that. And it's, it's like, it feels like a parody of like certain like couple drama stuff. <laughs> There's also a scene where it's revealed that through a picture, we see a picture of, of the, the main girl as, as a child. And so as the audience, we're like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, I kind of called it. It was pretty obvious, but like there's a confirmation that she was the child there. But then the character looks up almost at the camera and goes, oh, she was the patient it's just like it's just <laughs> so hammy and fun but the scene is whenever this movie loses its mind <laughs> and reveals the the true nature of hey gabriel uh the the villain of of the film i like my jaw dropped in the scene that ultimately reveals him i like i could not believe it and then an action scene plays out in the prison after that that had me like i there's really not not a, a another movie experience i can be like it was like whenever blah 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 happened i was just like all bets were then off Everything, this movie just became wild absolutely freaking wild and i loved it so much i was like skipping out of the theater <laughs> when I, that movie was over it was so good that almost made it to my top scenes but i i, I have a thing where just i i can't I don't like watching innocent bystanders get get killed, and I think more innocent bystanders die in that sequence than any other film I've ever seen. Yeah, so if you if you like if you're taking it seriously at all, it's a rough watch, but it is just the filmmaking, the way he films the action is. There's nothing else like it out there. Yeah. To me, like the movie is absolutely like it reveals its its true absurdity in that moment. So at that point, you could have like you could have dropped the piano on an elderly couple, and I'd be like, "Who cares? Do you know what this movie is?" And so as, as everybody is just dying in the most visceral, brutal, horrible ways, I was like, "None of this matters, dude. I'm just like shaking a bus. This is so cool." Um, I have three more. Uh, next one would be uh, the Suicide Squad turn back. Um, it's kind of in the climax again. Spoilers. Um, at the end where they finally decide, screw this. We're going to be the good guys. And they start marching back and John Murphy's score just goes wild. 
and just there's a series of just really awesome shots of them just kind of stalking towards the action as the music is ramping up. Then they all start running together, and it is it is it's just one of those moments just so exciting like it's it's happening now and you know the character arcs are kind of all coming into fruition um but yeah that that sequence the score the cinematography all of it i love it <laughs> the next one it would be from the uh the mads mickelson film uh riders of justice next would be the conversation between uh, mads mickelson's character and otto in the barn after uh, spoilers after they realize they were wrong um and Mads freaks out, and then he's kind of in the barn alone, and Otto, this character who he's been absolutely horrible to for the entire film, kind of comes out, and they just have a conversation about you know loss and being a father and trying to live when the horrible things happen, and I cried. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm upset at myself for not including this scene because it absolutely deserves to be here. Um, yeah it is truly fantastic and and the actor who plays Otto Nikolai Lacaz we believe if we're pronouncing it right um I think he is truly fantastic in this film and especially this moment and like everything from Mikkelsen's freak out in the bathroom where he's just being held by him and this conversation in the bar like it's just it is so moving and like it's just such like the, the the way the movie deals with with grief and how people cope and the you know the the bad ways that people cope or avoid like it's just it's a it's a heavy movie with what it's about and it does also like weirdly goofy at the same time it's 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 weird it's like it's almost like it's been much more south korean movies it's kind of got that weird thing where there's like you there's a there's a lot of weird tonal juggling going on yeah th- that was one of the hardest things getting into korean movies like i don't what are you movies yeah and so you know the way people react to that may be different there were a couple of moments even in writers of justice where i was like i don't even know if i'm like i don't even know if that sat well with me the way that completely played out but man when this it, this movie doesn't like just kind of shrug or put nice just insert just nice conversation like it's it, it's it's heavy and it's it's really really good and the performances are fantastic in that moment uh final one for me would be everything in, uh, it's from uh, spider-man no way home everything from when his spidey sense starts going wild in the apartment to when he's on the roof in the rain i'm gonna spoil it you know just where things like this movie has been kind of looking up and like he's you know there's problems when he's fixing it and then Every single thing in his life and aims goes wrong. It goes wrong so badly and, and worse than it ever has in this, any Spider-Man film in the MCU before that. And as the action's happening, as he's fighting a Green Goblin in the apartment building, and there's a thing I love when a film has you know PG-13 action. And all they have to do is twist the violence up just a little bit and it becomes shocking. Like, It's not even that, that violent compared to an R-rated film, but if you just turn it up just a little bit, amp the sound design, shake the camera a little bit, and it fe- the violence again feels shocking because it's been fun up to then. And now, oh, it's not fun. It looks like it hurts. There's blood. And like, it, I think what, what it's really effective use of just amping up the action. Just a really good, just one of the strongest transitions from a film that's been all steady cam and techno crane to handheld 
it's just there's a rawness and a visceralness to the violence as he's just throwing him through floors and jumping on, just slamming on Green Goblin's head. And they go down to the bottom and Aunt May gets killed. And it's, But also just the um, what's happening from a character perspective where Spider Peter Parker's choice to try and do good is going bad. And also Green Goblin he sees Aunt May is, is part of, is like his conscience, or he thinks that Aunt May is his conscience. And he's like, essentially, we are gods. We can do whatever we want. We shouldn't have to live by morality. So I'm going to kill your conscience to free you. I'm doing you a favor. I'm going to free you from this morality so you can live as the god you've, you're destined to be. Like just that philosophical angle to this action sequence. It's, it's so good. And and, and it's, it's like a 20 minute segment, I think of the film where, there's no Marvel humor. There's nothing. It's, it's just, this is, they're dealing with it. And then he go, and then finally it ends up, up on the roof in the rain. Like, why is there a TV screen? I don't know. I don't care on this random roof, but it's some of the most beautiful cinematography in any Marvel film as the kid is just slow motion in the rain. And Tom Holland looks so hurt. My poor little boy. And everything just went wrong. Aunt May is dead. The world's ended. It's, it's just an incredible sequence of events. Yeah, I that it's my favorite. Well, outside of getting to see my boy Toby back, um, that moment is incredible. The 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 moment in particular within all that that is is the meat is like the slow transition into it, where like his spidey sense is going off, and like we've never seen it play out the way it is. That long, like the close up on the face as he's going through uh the whole i'm like what is this it was so weird and like intentionally disruptive and the transition in will defoe is like freaking god tier he goes from a nice old man to the devil and yeah, it's just all it, in his oh, face this movie just let willem be he let him like go at it and so like the whole like norman isn't here honey like it's just, it's, <laughs> it's insane and like i freaking like whenever he's punching norman and he's just keeps turning around smiling i was like what this is a spider-man movie yeah john John watts i don't think he's the best action director but like when he dips his toe like toes it back into a little bit of horror like the car scene in homecoming like i think you really see what a good filmmaker he can be like these little touches of just creepy as heck stuff yeah, it was that that the whole sequence is, is pretty incredible yeah that, that, so that's my final uh favorite scene of the year um uh, so the next one would be a film that isn't great that i really enjoyed i mentioned both of these are my most underrated so I'll, I'll just let you go with this one uh okay so i have one guilty pleasure this year and that is mortal Kombat, baby <laughs> <laughs> this it's, it's not good it is guilty it is it's I don't know what I wanted from this movie. And I didn't even get what I wanted because I want, I just wanted cool costumes and great action and it doesn't even have great action, but it's freaking goofy. It's funny. I just watched a video about a guy talking about um, uh, where the Mortal Kombat video game stands. And he was like, he was um, creating a list of like its strengths and its weaknesses and under weaknesses for the video game franchise, it put, it is now tied to the movie that just came out. <laughs> and he said, he described it as a rated R movie for children. And I thought that's exactly what it is. That is, that is dead on. But I just happen to be a child at heart, I guess, because like, it's so 
It's so dumb and ridiculous. Kano cracks me up in this movie. Like he's good. He's the one genuinely good part. When Luke, when they first meet Luke Hang, and he puts his hand on Kano's shoulder, and he just goes F as as that happens. Like I freaking lost it. Or the or whatever, like they're like uh, they're telling Sonya she doesn't have the power, and he's just like effing whoops in the background. Like it's it's so I don't even know what to say to defend it. All I all I can say for myself is like Scorpion looks pretty cool, and that like Sub Zero looks pretty cool. Like those are characters I know. These are these are settings I know. Like this is this is all stuff that's familiar. It looks mostly pretty right, and so I just. I've actually seen it a couple times now. Weirdly enough, my sisters responded to it really well and have watched it like five times somehow. Um, but yeah, I you know, it, I mean, guilty pleasure for sure. But I, man, I have fun with that movie. I have a lot of fun with that movie. Okay, I actually mentioned both of my my, my two ones would have been Venom, Let Be Carnage, and Snake Eyes, both movies that are not very good, but I had a really good time with. But I already talked about those, so I'm just gonna go on. Next one, um, our most disappointing films of 2021. I had quite a few. I'm going to start this one. Uh, I mean, the first, um, this is this year, Taylor Sheridan hurt my soul. Uh, he started so well, and I hear he's still doing really well on television, but in fe- the land of feature film, something has happened. Uh, like like the Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado, it's fine. I think. Uh, but it's worse whenever you think about it as a sequel. Yeah, the, the run of what's the order? Sicario, Hell or High Water, Wind River. That run of films is astonishing. And then he does Sicario Two: Those Wish Me Dead and Without Remorse. Um, and like so, you know, coming off of his his run, that run I mentioned. I had so much high high hopes for this because it's Taylor Sheridan. Like one of them, he's writing and directing. One of them, he's writing. I'm gonna talk about both of them. So, so those who wish me dead is fine. Like it is so. It is so basic. Like it's a very basic action concept. Like there's very little happening as far as themes and character, which is what he does so well. And he's also a very new director, or maybe just not. Maybe just never. Maybe he'll never be a good director. But like it's just as an action film, it's very it feels like a first time director, just very limp. And there's the sequences aren't well built. It's a kind of film like it's a really cool concept of two assassins hunting this woman who's protecting a child through a forest fire. (laughs) Like like you could do stuff with I feel like if they gave it to like a really strong 90s action director, this could have ended up like a really fun you know, rainy afternoon action film. Instead, it's just, it's kind of a nothing movie. Um, like it, It's like Angelina jo- Jolie's big return to the you know, on-screen action star. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it's such a nothing film. It's unfortunate. Uh, the other one, Without Remorse, is even more of a nothing film. I am convinced that the director who directed Sicario 2 just asked, hey, can you come on and do a couple weeks of rewrites for me? This script is bad. And he just came on as a favor to this guy because... The script is almost is it's so lazy, so cliched, just completely underwritten. Um, it's been it's been so long since I saw it, and it left so it's left so little. It leaves so little impression. It just does its thing, runs through a couple you know spy film cliches, and ends. It's not well directed, not well written, 
Just the char- the characters are non-existent. You know my history with this. Without Remorse is one of my favorite books of all time. I remember I your think... cry of anguish after the trailer came out. Oh, <laughs> it people heard it around the block. Uh they got the rights to this thing and then they made Jack Ryan shadow recruit right after they got the movie rights for this. And so I thought, well, this is never going to happen. And then they finally announced it and that Sheridan was writing. And I was like, wait, 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 what? Okay. I get to be excited about this. And then that trailer came out and I thought, what? I, I was, I was the Don. <laughs> Look at how they massacred my boy is how I felt. I have not seen it and I don't want to <laughs> because it makes me so mad. Uh, so for my most disappointing and this, this doesn't feel completely right because it's not that it's bad. It's but I, just sticking to the idea of, of disappointing, of, of falling below expectations. Um, it was House of Gucci. Um, I I really I, I'm finding out that I'm, I maybe am the minority on this, but I really love the first trailer a lot. Cool music. I love the song choice. Yeah, like the. I mean, maybe it is just song choice, but like I also. <laughs> between like the godfather and all the scorsese but like i'm really I, there's something about like the the political italian american fan like it's just the cast is incredible i i did enjoy the trailer ridley scott you know i'm not nearly as i don't i feel like people don't like him anymore i still love ridley scott so i was really 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 excited and i think part of it is maybe just like italian crime movies just have an unfairly high bar set but it happened and I was like, okay, this is all, this, this is good. Like a lot of stuff is happening and it's good. The performances are like, uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily being like, none of this works. It's just because it was Scott, because of this, this genre that I really love. And because of this insane cast, it, it definitely fell below what I thought it could potentially be whenever I was first getting excited about it. Yeah. It was, it was. I didn't. I thought it was. It was better than you know. Better than it wasn't, but like not as, not as as fun as it could have been. Like it, it was really begging to be this just you know slick, stylish, like pacey, really snappy film. And it just, it felt like it never really found a stride. Like there were, there was great acting, good you know, good scenes here and there, but it, it just didn't find this pacing. I thought. Um, my next one would be old. <laughs> Um, M Night Shyamalan, you know, you know, he had uh, the visit, which was pretty good. Split, which I absolutely adore. Glass, which I like. So I was like, you know, he's back. And then he made all. I was like, oh, you know, he still has all his old problems. <laughs> uh, it's again, as you said, it's not, it's not nearly. I don't think it's good, but it's not the happening. It's not the lay in the water. It's not the last airbender. Like it's much more competently made. It's there's there's a there are a lot of great sequences in here. And my my biggest problem is I feel like it just doesn't come together as a film. Like all of Shaman's great films, I feel like they have a really strong thematic kind of character driven core. This, and they 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 end with like the character making several realizations that are layered on top of each other. And James Newton Howard's score, or uh, or uh, what's the what's the other guy? Uh, Thor, uh, Westill and Thornton. Uh, like their score mm-hmm. kind of comes in and it's just like this immense cathartic revelation like oh that's what this was about and i don't know what this movie it's about several things and Uh, then kind of nothing in the end and it's i think it's one of those films where the awkwardness of the performances is 
much like some, like some actors can do it. And I think the problem was that the two lead actors, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal and uh, Vicky Creeps, neither of them has English as their first language. And I feel like with if it's Samuel Jackson or Bruce Willis or James McAvoy, they can always find a rhythm no matter how ridiculous the dialogue is. Like Alec Guinness was never tripped up by George Lucas's dialogue. Uh, you know, Ewan McGregor always made it work. But these guys, I feel like since they don't speak English as well, I feel like they couldn't find the right rhythm to make Shyamalan's weird dialogue work. And so every line almost from them just fell flat. And like, it, it, it's kind of a compounding problem. It's just like his, his increase, like his balance of awkwardness to effectiveness was off in this film, where sometimes even his good films have awkward moments, but it's so good. Otherwise you can overlook it here. It just, it kind of overwhelmed it. There's a lot of great stuff. Um, Alex Wolf, uh, Thomas and McKenzie are really good. Just the moments of existential horror that are, that will always stick with me. Um, some really gorgeous cinematography from uh, Mike Goliakis. Such a good looking movie, I think. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of Shyamalan greatness in it. Plus, his foibles kind of warring with each other. In the end, it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what that movie was. I don't know what it's trying to be. I don't know what it's trying to say. I liked a lot of it. I didn't like a lot of it. <laughs> kind of middling. Yeah, there's not really, there's not really a lot I can even say in defense of that. It's just. Like whenever it was over, I was like, I just felt like I'm glad weird movies like this are made and exist and I can enjoy all the weirdness about them. And like, in a weird way, I would almost join you in describing it as middling, but it's like when I, the connotation I have with that is like, it was whatever here. But to me, it's like, you know, man, the cool things in this were like, like, oh, that's so cool. And like, you're like, there are moments of the weird existential, like that. there's some stuff he does with the aging that like, it made me unsettled. Um, it just made me feel weird and think about so like oh man this is this is heavy also the choice to go in certain very uncomfortable directions like but like yes it feels honest like that those things would happen if children aged really fast but also it is it's so uncomfortable like i I think it works but it rides that line yeah it's let's say because we had the same conversation with stuff he does in split where it's like he is i think I think there's a level of real bravery to him as a filmmaker and what he wants to make these weirdo movies about. And like, I really respect that. And so the thing is, I definitely also agree that like thematically, this movie is not at all reaching up to like the things that these other films did. And I think where that's most evident is in the final revelation where I feel like with with all of his other ones, like you said, you have these moments of catharsis or these moments of realization where all of a sudden What's being said in the plot also means something thematically, like, you know, the entire Unbreakable trilogy, each film there is just, well, like it's incredible. These endings are phenomenal, unbelievably cool. Um, But here, like whenever you get the revelation, in a way, it's kind of like I, there's a part of me that likes the twist or I'm like, that's, that's a fun little idea you had to make a movie about. But it, it's not like, and that's what, and like, and by saying this with the plot, what I'm saying is this. To me, it's the reveal was all plot, no real themes. And, but the way that I've ended up really being able to enjoy it was, it was, it was like a two hour episode of the Twilight Zone, you know? And like the Twilight Zone has its, its themes. It's like, it's thematically charged episodes, but also just has its episodes where it's like, I had a weird idea and I made an episode about it. 
And that's what this movie was to me. Like I, I kind of, whenever I realized that there wasn't going to be this, I was like, well, that was still kind of a neat little twist. It was a weird movie. Mm -hmm. It was a fun two hour Twilight Zone episode. The next one for me would be F9. Uh, I still liked it, but I have really loved the last two, uh, you know, uh, Furious Seven and Fate of the Furious. I'm not the only person who lo- loves Fate of the Furious, but I really, I find those two films have found the perfect balance of just Gonzo stupidity and really cheesy uh, Vin Diesel drama. <laughs> and this film, I feel like. Com- really lost that balance like you have long segments of where it's just drama then long segments of just action and there was some there was some pretty there was some genuinely good action um but it just it just it felt imbalanced um and there and i think examples of a lot of bad fan service like the whole bringing han back i think is genuinely stupid i think the whole justice for han movie is stupid but like the the whatever like if you if you were if that was important to you okay but the mechanics of how it happened felt so lazy um it, it just it's just unwieldy and i think the, <laughs> the drama doesn't land um <laughs> what it was has the drama ever landed <laughs> yes it has um and the action i don't think is as good as the previous two either uh yeah so my my last one um was uh was wrath of man uh and it's it's coming off of like really really liking the gentleman like the gentleman was, was my favorite film of 2020 and it still is that that movie like it was so it was so funny it was such a fun movie to watch with friends in the theater where like it was like i needed this freaking good time like i needed to just see this whenever Hugh, or, um, Hugh Grant touches the thing and shouts, "Off me!" That's not, like, <laughs> that is probably one of the funniest moments in any movie ever made, ever. Um, and so, and, and like, the, the, the other top five are also in this movie. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the head nod from Colin Farrell is the greatest gift to have been born from that. And then, like this, I also really love like his crime movies, like. I, I I haven't actually seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which like a lot of people hold as a pinnacle. It's good, but I I love Rock and Rolla. I love Snatch. I love like I mean I love Sherlock Holmes and so, like I love his Britishness. I love his criminal Britishness, and you know like this is an American movie, but we still get Jason Statham. But also, but also like, Henry Cavill's American in uh in um Man from Uncle, and it oh, works in Spades. Yeah, and so I'm like. For him to go back to crime had me really excited. Um, and it's not that I don't like this movie because by the end of it, I was definitely net positive. But I think like the first 20 minutes of this movie is really bad. <laughs> like the it's I really love the camera stuff he does at the very beginning in the truck, but that is some of the most wooden performances like the two guys in the truck they're back and forth it is like next level bad i like i i could not believe it and so i was worried that i was going to really dislike this movie because even after that i was like this is not getting good yet every everything with him at the like when he's first meeting all the new people on the job and everything i'm like this is this is somebody trying to be cool and it's not where like none of the 
not yeah it's I, I don't know if it's just the rhythms of his dialogue don't work for americans or just the script was bad <laughs> it's, it's strange because like his his dialogue is usually the, the high point of all of his films and here's like there are so many jokes that are not working yeah and and like the the style of acting just felt at odds with the style of filmmaking like they were they were much hammier than the the tone of the film was yeah it was weird it was fighting itself because it's it starts off like we are gritty we are like because i mean it starts with that shooting and so you're like this this what am i supposed to be thinking and feeling and so and it's, it's also broken up into chapters and i i just i think like chapter one or whatever it's called i i think it's like bad it's just full-on bad and that had me really worried i think it starts to really save itself later on it turned um, it turns into like this almost like snyder level grim focused revenge epic kind of thing and it's like, yeah, like it's so it's so dark and almost nihilistic and it kind of like it, it, it kind of redeems itself for me like I, I still quite like this movie but i do agree kind of the disappointment of like of that of those elements yeah, and, and that's why I said like it's 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 disappointment in relative like this is all just disappointment is set by expectations and really enjoying this these kinds of movies from him before coming off of the gentleman I was excited for like I was excited for what this was and how like gritty it was gonna be and so whenever it was just like some of it was just I felt embarrassed <laughs> like I felt embarrassed for some of the actors. And so it really, it really brought down the ceiling for how how well I could really enjoy this movie. Even though by the end I did genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, my final one is Army of the Dead. Zack Snyder, why? He's one of my favorite directors, and I, you know the uh, Justice Zack Snyder's Justice League was a smashing success, and so the thought of him doing this fun, wild zombie heist film and the trailer was pretty amazing. And I, I like the movie, but again, this is most disappointing, not worse. Like it, the big disappointment is that the heist isn't any good. Like they don't even, like there are so, there are so many things you do in heist, all the tricks and the, the, the things you, you know, the machinations you, you create, you like, you create like a Rube Goldberg, Goldberg machine within your film. And the joy of a heist movie is watching kind of that all play out as each person does their part. And here they just they just walk in like it's a heist movie. And there's no heist, and but also it's it's really long and the pace is kind of broken where it just it it feels kind of let in, and this is something I want to be careful about. Like the man, you know, he he lost his daughter, and then he makes a film about a father who saves his daughter. I feel like the scum of the earth trying to speak badly about that but i hate everything about that subplot i have you seen this movie i have not oh like her character is kind of the worst and makes some of the stupid like a series of such uh, astronomically stupid decisions and uh i don't want to spoil the end but it's just like there's a lot to like here. Like the, the opening credits are amazing. There's a lot of fun Snyder action. It's it's you know it looks really good. Um, the cast is having a lot of fun. There's a lot of good stuff in here. And overall, I think the good outweighs the bad. But just being a massive Zack Snyder fan and that pitch was so freaking good. 
to get a film that felt so half-baked. And I really just, I didn't like the way it went about being what it was about, you know, emotionally and thematically at the end. Um, just some choices that were really inexplicable. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I'll finish this filmography um, because I have to. And so I'm going to watch it, but I, I did really like the trailer, but a lot of the negative reactions, especially from like people who do make a habit of defending his films. Whenever I saw a lot of what was being said about it, I was like, ah, man, it's, it's, it's such a long movie. It's such a long commitment that it was hard it's, it's, to like, it's worth myself. seeing. Definitely. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. And I, like I said, I would definitely will just to like finish off the filmography. Yeah. yeah if, the if the else, disappointment but. obviously is relative to the hype going into it. Yeah. This being one of my most anticipated films of the year. All right, so next one would be our favorite uh, musical scores. You first, James. So I've got four picks here, and I'm going to go ahead and go in order. So my number, f- uh, my number four is *Malignant*, uh, the *Malignant* score from Joseph Bashar, uh, Bashara. It's it's so it's weird. Like when this movie opens, it's like on this gothic castle, like uh, hospital on this cliff face, and it's it's crazy and ridiculous and it ends with like we're cutting out the cancer and and it's like insert rock (laughs) music and it's like it's like this mid-2000s kind of like as we're doing all the credits and like there's there's like techno elements later and like whenever the movie goes full bonkers there's like there's weird techno stuff and then like they they use the song from the pixies as they're like stingered like they like this this recurring a motif and it's like i don't know why i don't know the connection i don't know what's going on but it sounds pretty cool and so i just i ended up really really liking the way this movie sounded my next one my, my one would be uh this would, this would be my actual favorite score of the year it would be uh, the suicide squad score by john murphy he actually retired uh, not retired kind of took a 10 like a 10 year hiatus from film scoring and this was his first feature film after a 10 year hiatus and i love this score so much it's it's very rock and roll lots of electric guitars um and it, it has so much energy and personality as it gets towards the climax well basically from the beginning but my, my, there's, there's a stretch of mu- uh, music towards the climax uh the tracks being um you know, the, the squad turn back the squad fight back and radism which is just him completely letting loose and it is so wonderful, both both just like epic, you know, rock style action music and some really, really emotional catharsis in radism. Uh, it is it's just beyond, you know, absolutely my favorite track, my favorite score that I've been listening to from 2021. I have listened to it so many times and I think and uh, he's coming back to do uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Tyler Bates isn't doing it anymore, oh, nice. which is a little sad because I think Tyler Bates score is. It gives us one of the best Marvel themes, but uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, I hope he, he keeps it and builds on it. Um, so my my third number three pick is uh Zack Snyder's Justice. Oh League. yeah, it's on mine too. Uh, it's it's so cool. It's it's epic. like the thing that epic. I was yeah, one of the missing pieces from the the theatrical cut was you got these Danny Elfman strings and these, this music that means nothing to these versions of the characters and stuff. And like musically, it just falls on its face so hard because this is, this is a different universe. Like there's an established sound and I really gravitate towards it. And uh, junkie, like I'm a, I'm a fan of his, like his, his, 
thing for Batman and BVS is just so cool. I love it so much. Um, and I also think Fury Road is like one of the greatest scores yeah. of like the, the whole 2020s. I love that score so ridiculously much. And so having him come back and it, he's somebody who does have an emotional investment in the way that this universe is supposed to sound and so he gives it the operatic sound it should have and so like their theme is really cool um the new uh piece for batman is really cool he he knows that everybody in the world should be in absolute awe of zimmer's music for superman which is some of the greatest music ever written for any movie ever and so whenever they go into the ship and you just hear that dun dun for the front i'm like oh, oh my he, God, teases, he is- teases it so much through the first like three hours and then finally gets to let go when he comes back yeah it's so incredible i love it so much and then like you said the if if they don't bring back the flash's theme for flash they are idiots and i'm going to actively yes. root against that movie's success <laughs> because that theme is so freaking cool. And the the way that the ways that I'm sure you could use that for the Flash as a character going forward is really neat. So yeah, I just to hear that kind of big, heavy operatic sound, it just it fit the movie so well. It's almost comically epic and how big he goes and how hard every it's a four-hour film. There are a lot of epic moments and he just goes for it in every single one. And it's so satisfying. Um, it's, it, if there are drums nearby, he's banging the <laughs> crap out of them. And just the uh, just the, the mystical female wailing for the uh, <laughs> for the Amazons. Oh, I love it. Uh, it, it's, it's, it fits the film so perfectly. Um, I haven't listened to it that much because the, the thing is fifty tracks long. There's fifty something <laughs> tracks in the in the score. It's like who has that kind of time? But I have been listening to it at the speed of force a lot i think that is just a transcendent piece for me my next one i'm i'm this is definitely also on your list would be uh minari by emil uh masseri or masseri i'll let you talk first because i know you have a lot to say about it this is so i'll just get this is my number one this this has gone be for me this has gone beyond like oh this is this is a score i really like from this year to like now i'm adding this to my playlist of scores i listen to uh, regularly i'm listening to it in isolation regularly not just that year, but years to come. Like it has entered among like my favorite scores of all time. Just listening to certain tracks from it makes me like deeply emotional. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is touching my soul. It's the the beautiful vocal. Like there's just the the serene. So, like it's it's like oh, I don't, it's so free and beautiful. I, I, I whenever Spotify did its wrapped. Um, it was very high. <laughs> it's, I, I very clearly listened and re-listened and re-listened to the score, but it is just, there's like an otherworldly beauty to it. Yeah. The, the track Big Country is like the <sighs> most wholesome, soul-nourishing thing you will ever listen to. Yeah. My number one track of the year for 100% certain. I, yeah, I, I throw that whenever I, sometimes whenever I'm driving and I, you know, I live in Texas, so I drive beyond like past a lot of farmland and throwing <laughs> that on while just driving through like, just there's a big plane with a bunch of cows and little ponds and stuff. It's like, it is almost this weird little transcendent experience I get to have out on the road. I love this score so much. I really don't have much to add to that. <laughs> I'm just going to co-sign it. 
Um, so my last one is the score for Dune. Uh, it is a weird score, intentionally weird. Like interviews with Zimmer was like, I did, I wanted to make something that was supposed to be music, but not music. And He's, he does a lot of that these days. Yeah, it's. And I mean, I wouldn't like. I would. I would like a return to a more conventional score from him at some point soon. But I'm also not complaining whenever we get stuff like this because it is. It is like it's it's harder to listen to just as its own thing, but within the movie, it is. I don't know. There, there's. It really does. It works in that way to where like some movies work because they truly take you away somewhere else. And it's like just the visuals, the sound, everything about it. It was that it was an experience that only like the medium of film can provide. And so like the vocals, the vocals that they ended all those trailers with, I freaking love that little thing right there. The, the Ben Gesserit stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The thing is he, he still can do that blockbuster thing. Like you have dark Phoenix, one Roman 1984, no time to die, and they're all like they're really good blockbuster scores. But he's also he's definitely putting his focus into this kind of experimental angle. Yeah, there are there are tracks that I do listen to um, on their own that I do think were I should have written them down. But there are a, a handful of tracks from it that I do really love, and I can just kind of put on. But like seeing this film in IMAX and hearing that score just come booming through, um, man, it fits that movie so well. So kind of continuing out of that, we have our standout needle drops uh, from this year. I only have two, and both are kind of the credit, the credit, uh, the opening credits for their films. First one is The People Who Died by the Jim Carroll Band from The Suicide Squad. Mm. Um, this is the most mean-spirited thing <laughs> I've ever seen, and I loved it. Um, it's just uh, as after the first Suicide Squad, which they really played up in the trailers and then slaughtered them all. <laughs> And so this is just this gleeful manic camera zooming in on each dead body as the as the uh, you know the backup the crew back in the office is like settling bets and celebrating. <laughs> it's it's wild and it's fun. Um, and the next one would be uh, uh, Viva Las Vegas uh, by Richard Cleese and Alison Crow from Army of the Dead, which is the uh, you know another slow motion. Uh, opening credits montage very similar to you know watchmen uh from Zack snyder and it's just it's wonderful it's Zack snyder doing a slow motion opening credit sequence like what, what more could you ever want and there are zombies and they're eating people and there's blood and gore and horror and fun and bullets yeah uh so i only have one pick for this um but it, it is the life on mars by david bowie from licorice pizza mm. it's this there's a lot of good uh like there are so many songs selection. So I remember that from the trailer and really standing out to me. And then I remember when it happens in the movie, but I forget what scene is it in. It's it's whenever he's running through the cars as they're all like out of gas and they mm. go by the gas station. He's like, it's the end of the world. Uh, I really really love that scene. Uh, like I said, he shoots running in a way that I think is just really cool. I love the camera pulling back and like all of that by itself is already stuff that I'm. I'm really into but it's also like like david bowie we didn't do this for that year i guess i don't remember but the using david bowie to end jojo rabbit that was that would have been my favorite easily mm. my favorite needle drop of that year so maybe i just maybe i just really really love david bowie why did david bowie and the beatles sound so good in german like almost even better than their original versions for real but 
And so like that, that would be my pick. There's just, it's one of those scenes where I just kind of like, I got excited. I was like, ah, oh, oh, the way the camera's moving is pretty cool. And it fits that music pretty, pretty good. I like this. All right. So before we get into our top 10, we have our honorable mentions for the year. Let's alternate these as well. Uh, start with you, James. Uh, so I don't have like a whole lot of honorable mentions, especially consider it. Like I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really see a lot of movies. Like I saw 12 more than my top 10. <laughs> and so uh, I'll start with my, one of my honorable mentions is Eternals. Uh, for reasons I've already said, it's a weird movie. Uh, but man, it the ways in which it worked are ways that like kind of play towards me. That might have been in my most disappointing if I hadn't had like you know six months of very interesting discourse online to prepare my soul for it. So my my, my one my first one it would be a, the Green Knight. Um, I'm sure this is going to be on your top ten, so I'll talk about it then. Am I correct? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, next one, Dune. I'm sure it's also on your list. I'm not going to mention yep. it. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, I talked about it before. I th- this musical means I've never actually seen the stage version. I just listened to the this, the uh, soundtrack a lot. It really means a lot to me. Um, and the film has a lot of issues. I think just Stephen Chbosky's direction is very flat, which is kind of a problem in the musical. I think it has it has some trouble finding its tone in the first half. Like as far as how heightened it wants to be, which is always a problem in the musical. If it takes, if it takes itself too seriously, then it gets into singing. Um, you know, Ben Platt's very old, but he is very good. So I forgive that. Um, but for me, just it's, I find it really emotionally honest about, and just insightful. And just that they're singing and dealing with things about, you know, things that I, you know, I feel very deeply about, and it's just a very satisfying emotional journey following this character, um, who is a you know a very deeply flawed person, learning some very important life lessons. I like those movies. Yeah, I do want to watch this more now. Uh, so my next one would be Shang Chi. Uh, I honestly didn't have a lot of expectations going into it, but like like you like we've already raved about the fight scenes really blew me away, and they get so 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 many bonus points for not only bringing back ben kingsley (laughs) but including him as a full-on side character like whenever they're like i was just just jumping up and down with excitement when i saw him and like they nailed the characterization ben kingsley is back in freaking top form um but whenever we cut after like his scene and he's he's in the car with them and like oh we're taking him with us. Like, he's, he's just with us. I got so excited. And so Shang-Chi ended up being a really good time. Plus it ends in a giant kaiju battle. So like, yeah, good stuff. I, that should have been one of my honorable mentions. I didn't have written down, but yes, it is. It is so good. Also, you know, Tony Long just being a movie mm-hmm. star. Um, Simu Liu, you know, a newcomer. I don't know if he's the best actor, but he was really perfect for this role. He's he's easy to root for he's likable he's really likable yeah and and the first time i've actually really liked aquafina i've been i've had very many problems with her shtick in other films have you seen the farewell oh you know, yes that very dramatic performance excellent her I mean, more i guess more her comedy it's the first time i've really embraced her as a more comedic character um just something about her chemistry with simu lu is just so wholesome and adorable my next one would be cherry uh, this is, this is a very dark, uh, film. Like it, it deals with some very, very serious subject matter. Um, basically, uh, we watching this young man go into a self-destructive 
self-destructive spiral. Um, but I, I really liked the uh, the Russo's direction. There's some issues like I feel like this, like there's a different style in each segment, and I feel like the style in the first segment doesn't fully work, so it's hard to get in get into it until he joins the army, and then it kind of goes off. So I think that that might have disconnected a lot of viewers. Um, but after that, like there's there's we go through these various sequences and. There's like a really when he's in basic training, it's really abstract. Then when he goes to to war, it's like widescreen epic. And like the Russos have directed some incredible action scenes, and this is like some of the best action direction I've seen ever. Just like incredible widescreen, gorgeous visuals, sound design, camera movement, all of that was really impressive. But just the character journey, watching him go through that, but also but just seeing it. And if you can get into the stylistic changes of just feeling this descent into despair and addiction um, with the character, Tom Holland is just a revelation as always. Uh, yeah, it, I, I, I know a lot of people did not like this movie. A lot of people really hated it, but it, despite some flaws, it really clicked for me and I found it to be a pretty powerful film. Uh, and was very much emotionally invested. And just from a technical perspective, I think the Russos did you know, an incredible job with a lot of those sequences. So uh, my, my last one is, and this is like, I mean, I'm not going in order of like what's 11 through 22 for me. It's just ones that I want to, I want to pat on the back. Uh, and this is Godzilla versus Kong <laughs> because this movie had no pretensions. It wasn't pretending to be like, is we're a movie about it wasn't a pretending big... to be a movie a lot of the time <laughs> <laughs> honestly very true but i think that's accurate i think it really wasn't pretending to be a real movie sometimes and there was fun to that and i think where it can like the action in it mm-hmm. is weirdly great the the fight in hong kong between godzilla and kong is like there was stuff going on with the camera where i'm like what the you didn't have to do that that was so cool like just some absolutely weird inspired choices with the camera um that ended up like like i just had a good time with with that movie yeah that probably should have been on one of my movie that wasn't good but i kind of enjoyed list next one for me would be the french dispatch this is like if you like Wes Anderson's style, it's just pure catnip. Um, it's like I didn't even like it is these a series of very loosely connected vignettes. Some I like more than others, but just overall, I just I liked being here with it. I liked existing in this world. My favorite sequence was the first one where um, Benicio del Toro is an artist in prison. Um, <laughs> Uh, and just Adrian Brody in that scene, in that in that segment is so freaking good. Adrian Brody, I think, has the perfect vocal rhythms for Wes Anderson's dialogue. There's a couple lines from the Grand Budapest Hotel that I wish I could quote, but I won't. <laughs> yep. Um, it's that and Wes Anderson doing adorable things in a period piece, and these really idiosyncratic characters and gorgeous compositions and cinematography and, you know, him exploring his love of, you know, publishing or food or whatever. It's just like, I, 
I like I don't even care much about any of like, like none of the, the stories aren't like really like I'm not emotionally connected or anything or all that intellectually involved. I just I just love being in Wes Anderson's worlds. The last one would be uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. It's not as good. I was I was hoping. I I wish like there was a bit more happening in the script, but I think it's it's one of the best looking films I've ever seen. And it was this very similar with um with the with what's the previous movie he did? Uh, Shape of Water. Yeah, The Shape of Water, where I don't understand what he and Dan Lauston are doing together with the camera because it's it mind blowing mind blowingly gorgeous the way they could photograph you know these dark noirish stuff and uh, it's so freaking good and every shot is just like a painting um yeah it, it's one of those movies that you just kind of get lost it's very it's a very dark nasty movie um very mean spirited and kind of just you watching this 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 very selfish egomaniacal man destroy himself and it, you can't look away mm, right up my alley yeah <laughs> nightmare alley all right all right moving into our top 10 of the year um i'll start so my number 10 is luca this is just a sweet adorable film um it's from the director of la luna which he that was one of my favorite pixar shorts for many years he finally got a feature film and it's just you know two little boys hanging out in the italian countryside being goofballs doing things and there's pasta and bicycles and vespas and learn you know learning about family and just it's it's, it's really kind of plotless and wonderful there is a plot but it doesn't it doesn't matter it's just it's a vibey hangout film um i have i just have a wonderful time with this movie uh i haven't seen it yet but i really want to the the colors of that movie just look so pleasant mm-hmm. and so I anticipate really like it. It's a film that has a sense of place. Like it is, this is this town in the countryside in Italy, and you get to know every cobblestone in it. And I love love that. that. I love that kind of stuff. Very location specific stories. I really love. Mm -hmm. Um, So my number ten is Malignant. (laughs) I I really love this kind of like. B-movie homage, absolute splatter kind of like ridiculousness. And it's another one that like it has it it almost has too good a grasp of what it is that I think a lot of people didn't didn't know that it knew. And so there's a, a lot of people scratching their heads. Um but I like like I said, I think there are moments had I not known Juan as a filmmaker before, I think I would have been more confused. <laughs> But I think knowing what he's capable of, maybe like whenever things fell flat in quotes, I was like, you know, I, I think I know that, you know, and then I felt like that was kind of confirmed as the movie went on. So I feel like early on, like early on enough, I kind of clued into what it was. And from that moment on, like the, we've, we talk horror, like, you know, I, I really love horror. I love like from the super cerebral art house horror to like absolute nonsense splatter stuff. It's just, I, I really eat all that up. And Juan is like outside of like, outside of like the more like psychological horror stuff. Juan is my favorite horror filmmaker where I think his, his control and his command of, of what he's doing. It's just, it's so, 
so pitch perfect and he does so many he doesn't make it easy it's not like oh i'm gonna just shoot a cool horror movie he's like no i'm gonna just shoot i want to go crazy like the top down almost video game-esque like camera where she's wandering the house i'm like oh this is incredible and like whenever they're going underground and like there's almost like all these walls and like vehicles and stuff scattered around with just an obscene amounts of fog creeping in and like the there should be no lighting down there but it's so gorgeously lit it's the direction in that movie is so cool the chase scenes are like i was just like laughing at how bonkers it was oh man and all of this is why he made the best fast and furious film just so you know no that movie is not very good (laughs) that movie is great but malignant dude malignant is great i love malignant um i I enjoyed that film a lot but not to the level you did Uh, the scene where a character falls through the ceiling is just like one of the the most wild (laughs) reveals of all year um my number nine is a quiet place part two um i adore the first quiet place film i think it's it's a great horror film and just a great family drama this one isn't as good. Like the first one just has a perfect concept, perfectly executed. This one, like it's, it, it's stretch. It has to stretch the concept a little bit. Um, but if you're willing to go with it, I still, it's really effective. The act, acting on all fronts. So good. Like John Krasinski's just handling of tone and atmosphere and tension is so pitch perfect. And I, I like the way it kind of continues the, kind of the themes of the first film of the way, the way that th- that film, the way that like each one is like giving its own unique look at, f- at family from a different angle and childhood and growing up. I thought it was, it was the way it continues. That theme is effective. And there are some sequences of editing that are just like, I've never seen a film do this before where it's, it's he's weaving through like th- two or three different locations and the cuts are like thematic cuts where it's he's cutting based on tone and like matching camera movements between all these different locations. And like it, it's like cross cutting action sequences is something that's been done so many in pretty much any action film. But and, and it's what's happening here. But just the rhythm he finds was I, I, I have a hard time describing it was just so unique and just fascinating from a film perspective um yeah not as good as the first one but i think really solid uh so somehow i forgot that this movie came out i've seen 23 and it just magically didn't get included in my list i'm gonna bump malignant down to an honorable mention and put (laughs) this at number 10 because i really really love this um and i actually i need to watch them both my immediate reaction is i think i actually kind of preferred this to the first one Hmm. um I really enjoyed the focus on the children and their their increased responsibility within this world and how they were like the the way the world was demanding that they step up as active players like they're more active in the family and and because it's following the loss of the first one there's like that increased level of tragedy I mean all the you know the first one opens up with the the death of the child which is already like it gives that movie plenty of tragedy going in, but because we know this, like a lot of that just really worked. Um, like you said, they they don't get to lean into the quiet aspect in the same way that the first one did. Um, 
but I think they really made up for it with what they gained by more dialogue. I think, I mean, and the way they did the dialogue was really well done. Um, like allowing Millicent Simmons to kind of sort of halfway speak was like the first time I have was like, Whoa, she can do that. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, like it really, it, I think it added a lot to the emotion. Yeah. Um, and I think Killian, I mean, Killian Murphy and Jamon Hansu, like they're incredible. And so, and the, the scene at the docks had me on freaking edge. It, they, they like brought a sequence out of the walking dead and like put it here and I loved it. And it worked so well. So yeah, I and and yes, the the editing that the final scene when we're cutting between the two, I'm like, John Krasinski is a real director. Like, and also I feel like people, like a lot of my artsier friends, have a harder time trying to hop on board with both the first and this movie. And it's it's like man, it, they're they're just self evidently great, and we should have just acknowledged that. And also Paul Thomas Anderson said he has screened the first one for friends so many times because he says it's one of his favorite films in recent <laughs> years. Uh, and he had, like it's, he said, it's the most fun movie to show people who haven't seen it that he has. Cause of course he's a big director. So of course he has his own theater room that he invites people to. He seems like such and a chill ab- dude. <laughs> so he absolutely loves it. And he invites all of his film friends over. So if you need freaking permission to love <laughs> it, there you go. It's a great movie. Um, so What's your number nine? I think we kind of messed up the order there. Okay. Well, yeah. So sorry. I'll, I'll, I guess this means that you just happened to have gone first and went with uh, a quiet place too. And I got to comment about that. So my number nine is Judas and the black Messiah. Uh, a very heavy movie, very like very weighty. Jesse Plummins showing up being Jesse <laughs> Plummins and great. And so that's always awesome. Um, really really solid direction really sturdy direction it looks great the the standout thing to me though is is one what's the name of the the lead actor oh lakeith stanfield he's fantastic mm-hmm. he he is unreal in uncut gems i think he's so good in uncut gems um but he's a really really great lead in this but Daniel Kaluuya gave the year best performance in it. And I think one of the best performances of a movie that I've just, I, I've seen in my lifetime, it's unreal. I, I, I made a comment about it on Pop Americano, which is a Facebook platform that we're on about how like I had a hard time describing it in a review because to me, it's like, there are, there are like the, cinema like just the legends of film history kind of performances daniel day lewis and there will be blood al pacino and the godfather like to me that's what this was daniel kaluuya was just he was phenomenal acting on on just a a level that is almost a privilege to watch like (laughs) he was just putting on a master class in it and so um the movie itself is very good but he he just was unreal. Yeah, I did not see that one. Um, so my next one would be my number eight would be Last Night in Soho. Uh, pretty much carrying over from what I, everything I said previously, this is a it's so much fun to watch Edgar Wright just going wild in a horror film. Uh, and like I think it, also I think it has like really strong characters. Thomas and McKenzie's wonderful kind of 
it's been, you know, it spends a, a decent time in the beginning kind of establishing who she is as you know, very lonely, awkward character thrust into the big city, you know, all of a sudden trying to navigate that. Then she's going back in time as another character and things get, start getting weird and there's danger and fear and lots of giallo. Is it giallo or giallo? The uh, Italian giallo. giallo. Giallo? Yeah. Like lots of that kind of neon horror uh, you know, w- women in peril kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think the the ending. I I don't know if the ending works. I don't even know if I like what it's saying thematically, but it is so gonzo about it being itself that I still kind of love it. Yeah, it's just Edgar Wright. He's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad that I missed this. So my number eight is Zack Snyder's mm-hmm. Justice League. Uh, this is like. I wish more comic book movies were like this. I know people are taught, like complain about self seriousness and stuff, but I love it when Zack Snyder takes himself seriously, <laughs> and comic book seriously, and gives them just an operatic sense of grandeur. Um, and I like again, like I feel like I, I read this a lot in different reviews and stuff where people are like, "Do I like this because it's great, or just because it's such an obvious step above the?" theatrical cut the answer like, is yes yeah like the answer it, it's both of those things but you definitely like it because it's great you know like i guess just the reason it's not as high given like me as a Zack snyder fanboy um there are elements of it that i don't think work super well some i don't hold against it others i definitely do like it not always looking perfect is more understandable you know um the cgi not always working i can forgive um the only things that really like hold it back for me is one, I loathe Martian Manhunter as a movie. <laughs> and I think it ruins one of the movie's better scenes. Um, and it it's also it's like the rise of Skywalker level of mistake, not near not halfway the extent of what that is, but it's the same category of mistake of like it doesn't even just hurt itself, it hurts previous things. And now yeah. I'm, I, I'm I'm expected to accept. General Swanwick as Martian Manhunter in previous movies. And he is a side character that I've just really like gravitated to. Like, I just really love his character. Are you up and stupid? Like, I just, <laughs> he's such a fun character and they they give him even more to do in BVS. And so to turn him into what they did, I'm like that. And it annoys me to a significant extent. It's one of those things. Um, like, I, I like this film so much. That I, I want to create a fan edit. So just, I can cut those 10 seconds out yeah. and heal this gaping wound in the film. Yeah. Cause it's, it's very, very bothersome to me. Um, and, uh, and th- this is the bigger complaint that I have is I, I feel like the first two films in this trilogy, cause it really does. It's, it's a trilogy is, they're very much about Superman and his relationship to the world and how, how we see him, you know, like the threat he poses, the meaning and hope he can give us, the way he's perceived. Like, it's just, I mean, BVS is like the most, it's, it's so full of, I don't know, me, like it, it's so concerned with like, this like as a reality. Every- transition from scene to scene feels like we cut back to tv screens and talking heads and pundits and people wrestling with what is this what is this person who is he what does it mean to have to be human with a god walking among us like it it, 
the fil- both of those two films are so deeply wrestling with those ideas. Yeah, and and so I do think because you have to look at it as a trilogy as well. Justice League definitely seems the least concerned with that. I, I there's still definitely like a Gods Among Men vibe to it, um, which I really do love. It's part of what I love about him and the genre because you you get that like that's all over Watchmen as well. So I just love his approach to the comics, and I like that that's still here. But the specifics of how do we as a people relate to this how what does it mean for us how do we accept it and like after that beautiful ending and the extended cut of bvs of like the empty streets and the closed businesses i feel like we were robbed of of his return like he came back and there's everything like you know bvs has features at the most but man of steel is still chock full of like humanity as a whole it's so present in it yeah, the, and the, so the film was so focused on the Justice League as people forgot the, <laughs> of the other people. Yeah, and and so you know, Superman comes back and he has that like he has the fight, which is cool. Um, but then we we just go off to that isolated area for our final showdown, and then the only thing we get from Superman after that is like I thought for sure it was like a Whedon shot, but it's, you know, him unbuttoning the shirt and like flying over some people in Metropolis, but you don't get the return. You, the, you know, BVS has that great title screen, you know, the world is introduced to the Superman. Um, We don't get the Superman returns to the world thing. And, and I feel like that, that's up to that point. That's been the heart of this thing. That's what this whole thing has been about. So for the final installment to almost entirely drop the thing that I was most interested, I, I that that hurt. Yeah, this is weirdly one small element where I feel like the Whedon version, I know we're not allowed to praise it, did like ever so slightly better with the Everybody Knows montage, yes. which felt like a, th- a very purposeful continuation of Superman's funeral from the f- previous film. Like you, you put those, those scenes could probably fit together. And it's just like very heavily reckoning with also with the, the the grainy cell phone footage where he's talking with children more even more than this one did like what does the loss of superman mean to humanity not just to batman not just to wonder woman not just to the safety of earth but the this this symbol of hope being missing what does that mean i feel like we wrestle with it a teensy bit more than this film did yeah and so it's weird. I just like I just put it as number eight on my top ten and talked about uh-huh. the problems with it. But I just well, it's gonna show to up. It's gonna show up later on mine. We could praise it more then. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I get my negatives out here, and then I'll get all my positives out there. But I really do love it. All right. So my number seven is Spider-Man: No Way Home. This is like I, when I first saw this film. This happens a lot of blockbusters. Like I don't know if I. Did I like it or not? Like I liked a lot about it. I didn't like a lot about it. I just a lot of wrestling. I saw it again. I was like, okay, I like this. And I saw it the third time and I really like it. It's it's weirdly like the most both like it has j- both John Watts' best direction by far and John Watts' worst direction by far. I find like there's a a real problem with how will he paces some scenes? Like there's a lot of, I think there's a, there's a lot of production issues. I think there was a lot of problems with shooting during COVID and actor availability. Cause there's a lot of this film is filmed with actors on green screens and stitched into scenes like, and actors like you shoot one side with the actor now, and then a month later you shoot the other side of the actor. Um, or it's a lot 
so many shots of the actor just standing alone and the camera just kind of cuts between each actor and never and rarely showing wides like it is clear that there was a lot of just i probably unbelievable stress on set trying to stitch together pieces when you just didn't have actors on set and most people probably don't notice that me being a stupid nerd i do <laughs> and i can't unsee it um so that that against opening with the criticism like things like that i think the comedy i'd say a full 50% of the jokes don't land and Watts, every single one of them, he stops the movie for like three or four seconds for each one. And that's not good. Like I think the great comedy directors, like speaking of like Edgar Wright, like jokes are best where they're just thrown off, like off the cuff and the camera, the movie just moves right past him. And he, there's an integration. Yeah. Like you need to, you can't stop the movie. Like they, 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 they should feel part of the scene. And he has a problem with stopping the movie for the jokes. Um, but also, I think this is a really good-looking movie. Uh, the, the cinematographer, uh, Mauro Fior, came over. He does a lot of Anton Fuqua films. Like, just there's a lot of just gorgeous compositions. Like, just I think from a moment from a moment to moment, I think the direction is pretty confident. Uh, I think like when it gets serious, like I, 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 there are a lot of bad jokes, but I think when it gets serious, the film allows it to be serious. Like the scene I mentioned, also the scene on the roof of the school with uh, Toby. Andrew and Tom together. Another one of those scenes where it's weird because like there are three angles. There's one angle for Tom, one angle for Toby, and only one angle for Andrew, and they only cut to those three angles because they clearly were not there together. But also, I'm noticing that and I'm weeping because it's so well written and so well performed. Like when the emo when the feels hit, they really hit. Um, so it's a mixed bag. Like I think Watts is doing his best. He's trying, he's elevating his game from the previous two films, but he's just he has limits as an action director. So in it's 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 really good, but ultimately, what makes this work for me is I think is the screenplay is really strong. It's a film that knows exactly what it's trying to be, and particularly on rewatch, you realize just how much of things that felt kind of irrelevant and just like fun stuff, how much they're actually setting up. You know, the pieces, all of it, it all kind of is focused towards giving this Peter Parker a really powerful journey and next and, and 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 you know and um and this integral step in his growth essentially growing up as a person um like the whole film, whole film is so beautifully built around that and it, it it ends in such a powerful way um so like yeah it's really flawed but i think it, its heart is really strong yeah okay so i I decided it, it, it would, if I did this, it would have probably been out of just a desire for controversy. So I went against it. I almost included it in my most disappointing, again, relative. I almost included you in my most disappointing. Well, you know what? Throw me on the list and I'll throw this on the list. Um, but I think it's, it is because of expectation. One, man, dude, Toby Spidey, those Raimi movies, one and two, those are like the gold standard for the genre. And people yeah. who disagree, I don't really care. Go kick a rock or something. You're wrong. Like objectively, those movies are incredible. Um, so I went into the super high and like, and it being after all the reviews, just maintaining in the nineties, it's like the, it is the official highest reviewed movie of 2021 on letterbox. It's like, it was just ridiculous. It was nothing but insanely high praise everywhere. And so I thought like, I've got a movie that's tailor made for me. But I just ended up having a lot of issues with it. And the thing is, so most of it is going to come back to the humor, but it's, I don't want it to get mischaracterized as like 
I'm I'm taking off too many points simply because a joke didn't land. It, it's it's the category. It's more categorical than that. It's it's not just that a joke didn't land. It's the kind of joke, and I felt less and less crazy as I did read more negative reviews because words that I naturally used or like ways that I naturally put it, I realized other people said that I had no communication with. Like you thought that like the idea, a lot of it felt like SNL skits. Like it was like, this is what you do if you had this actor on and he's going to host and you're going to do the thing. And like, it's a parody of the thing. So like the joke has its roots in the material, but it's a little too out there to be included in the movie. So we're going to do it on this little sketch, but it actually made the movie. Um, and so to where they become like fourth wall breaking, like, like whenever he rescues the MIT lady and she like chastises Doc Ock as if you were like a school bully. And then it's, I can almost read exit stage left in the script. And she just walks out of like, it's like, she just walks off the set after being like, I can't believe you did that. That is not cool. And walked away. I'm like, this is Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus. Dang it. I'm like, this is not how we talk to this kind of character. He is above this. And, and so like, like that moment or like uh, when a lot of the jokes aren't even like characters trying to be funny, the humor is in the fact that like, we're aware of things, but then people, and this is what you already said, like the pacing where like things just kind of stop to allow laughter, but it's our laughter. It's like an external audience laughter, not, nobody there. And so people just stand around for too long. And, and then there are moments where like for the joke to land, you basically have to insult the character's intelligence. Like I, I harp on this joke a lot, but whenever Aunt May offers Dr. Octopus a glass of water and says, I don't know if you wanted salt water, you know, because of an octopus. I'm like, for the sake of that joke, you just made Aunt May an idiot. Like she is next level stupid. It's metal grafted onto his back. You know this. You, you've been in the MCU long enough to know how this works. You know what this is. Like, but for the sake of this, and it feels like blocks where it's like, okay, a scene happened, and now like the scene could have been slotted in anywhere, but we filmed a 30-second joke with punchline and everything. We're going to put it right here. And it feels so disconnected from everything. And that's how so much of the humor felt, is, is like this disconnect where the movie stopped to tell a 30-second skit and then, and then hit play again. And a lot of the times the skit just feels so insulting to these human beings. We're like, You're, you made that character so freaking stupid so that they could say that line. Like an intelligent person doesn't say stuff like that. I feel like Ned got a lot of those. I'm like, you're just making these people stupid. They're not stupid. Why are like, you have to have the lowest IQ to say these things. And it's, so it ended up just like, it was just a series of things that really, really took me out of it so that whenever the drama did come, I was art, like I was trying to like settle in again. And I'm like, it, it never, like the humor never went away. Like you're right in that, like the scenes themselves with drama weren't trying to undercut the drama themselves or the drama itself, but their book ended on either end with stuff that does. And so I feel like I just, I need a longer time to like readjust and settle back down before you do that so like if you make a silly joke and then you try to hit me with the drama I'm like I'm not the the immersion's been broken for a bit I need like I need five more minutes to like try to like re-enter this world because you just made that person really stupid for a weird dumb joke and a wink and 
And so a lot of the emotion for me, like scenes that I knew, knowing myself and what affects me, that I'm like, these, these scenes would have worked on me. Like you, you could have gotten me, but they just didn't get me because I'm like, I'm still... <laughs> I don't. I don't have your visceral your... hatred of jokes. <laughs> no, but that, that's okay. But that's what I'm saying. Is it's not just. It's not jokes. It's not that it's like it fell flat. Flat. It's that it was the the construction of the joke is fourth wall breaking. This this ceases to be a world that people occupy. It's it's no if, longer if a place me, that human like, beings live in. Oh, that joke didn't land. Okay, we're on. Maybe we on. <laughs> I, I, I can shrug that off pretty easily. The, but the lady, this guy, he's got four arms. Like these, there's a whole bridge fight. There's a bombs and explosions and a, all sorts of craziness. And she's like, her line is literally, that's, that's not cool. She said, that's not cool to Dr. Octopus and just walked off on a, on a major highway. Like, it's not that that wasn't funny. It's that that was not a human being. That's not a world. That doesn't exist. That's not even, that's... And now all of a sudden, before you know, like, I'm just thinking about this is a set. These are actors. There's camera. They probably laugh. That was probably a ton of fun to shoot on the day. But that's not a real world. It's not that it's not funny. It's just, this isn't a world. You're breaking reality so people can be dumb. And it, it ruins immersion I, for I, me in a very real way. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't a good joke. Okay, next scene. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, you destroyed the movie. I, I don't get that. I don't get it's that a, at all. It's, it, it's, I mean, it's short of, it's obviously it's not Deadpool level, but it's like, it to me, it really is fourth wall breaking. Like it is an explicit awareness of an audience. Like it is, we are talking, we are using the movie to talk to the audience right now in a way that is clearly breaking any sense of immersion I have. Well, my immersion isn't as fragile as yours. <laughs> well, that was James Wines about Marvel. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> With our top 10 of the year. Uh, what is your number seven? Okay. My number seven is Riders of Justice. I I really enjoyed this movie. I Mads Mikkelsen is like, he's incredible. He is. He could do anything. He, like, like in last year's The Big Hit, uh, the, uh, another round, you know, he played this kind of very diminutive, you know, high school teacher kind of miserable in his life and here he plays this giant ginormous scary military dude like and he's amazing at both and like he's he plays everything he's incredible he's so and i'm so glad that like he's he's getting recognition beyond just like villain roles like he's so sympathetic in this and you care about him and i mean the same for another round at that dancing scene in another round. like so i'm i've been a mads mikkelsen fanboy since watching Hannibal and so I just I freaking love him and I think his performance here is incredible I think I'm forgetting the name but we already said it so it's okay the actor who plays Otto I think is truly fantastic um and I won't be too negative I'm just going to bring this thing up long enough to make a point I I was not as big a fan of the Suicide Squad as I was hoping to be and I think why because there were jokes no 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 <laughs> it's not okay in that Okay, James Gunn's humor there. It wasn't movie. It wasn't like fourth wall breaking. It, it oh wasn't like yes, illusion. it was. Well, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't inconsistent within itself, which I guess is a good way to put it. The other way, it's it feels inconsistent within the style of the movie. In James Gunn, it's consistent within itself. That movie never breaks itself. It never breaks its own style. Um, I just happen to think a lot of the jokes in the Suicide Squad didn't work for me. But that is like that is the kind of movie where I would say that that it didn't it didn't hurt the movie. It's just I didn't laugh at some of the jokes. But I feel like 
both with the original Suicide Squad and this. It's just kind of James Gunn's style in general. I know he didn't do the first one, but it's he tells stories of like these misfits and these outcasts and these people with deep-seated psychological problems coming together as a family. And so it's like, it's the outcasts and weirdos of the world being humanized and coming together. Um, and I think it works well in the Suicide Squad, but it doesn't come with a lot of meaning to me. I don't, I'm not like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling this. I think it works at its best in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but with Riders of Justice, what made me love it so much, which kind of was just, it became this illustration for me, was it, these aren't just weird goofballs. Like these are like, the movie acknowledges them as very psychologically damaged. And then it doesn't shy away from that after that's introduced. We're like, the things that these people have gone through are very, very serious. And the movie is happy to like, once it introduces that as this, this is part of the movie, this is part of what's happened to these people. It's, it's a, it's now a, a thing that they use. You know, we talk about Otto's history, the, I forget his name, but the bigger guy who is, he was in band. There's like, it, there's humor used in it, but there's also like, there's a real sense of like, of deep hurt to his character. He just, he feels he feels like life has hurt him in a very, very sad kinds of ways. And so this, with this family's coming together, spoilers, when they're coming together for Christmas and they're getting, they're giving gifts and stuff. I felt it like it was such, that ending was so emotional to me. I'm like, these people have just been hurt. Like they are so messed up the stuff that they've had to live through and go through and so on like it, it has its own weird, absurd humor and there's weirdness to it. Some of it really works for me. Some of it doesn't, but it's just, it's, I love those characters and the way that they were able to come together and find some, some healing through that movie to where like, as they're like, they're a happy family on Christmas day. And like Mads Mikkelsen is in like Christmas pajamas and stuff. Like it's. Uh, the still of him with his crew, his buzz cut, his massive beard and a Christmas sweater is yeah, amazing. It's, it's incredible. And so it's like, to me, it just feels so earned. And I'm like, man, it, this was a, this was a group of hurt people who found healing together. And I just, I really, really loved it. I really loved the movie. My number six is The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, this is Joel mm -hmm. Cohen's Shakespeare adaptation. It's shot by Bruno Delbanel, um, who shot a movie called The Half-Blood Prince, which is the most beautiful film ever made. And it looks like it was shot by Bruno Delbanel, who made the most beautiful-looking film ever made. It's very surreal and expressionistic, uh, like this, the very minimal sets. Um, it's kind of a... This is, it's a very intentional staginess and kind of artificiality about it but it's this just the the way he can find very similar to dan lauston with guillermo del toro just the about the perfect lighting to shade someone's face as they stand there just to make it look just like how how is this done um it's so beautiful it's shakespeare it's a great story um a, a couple issues like i think Denzel Washington might have been miscast like is that I don't know is that possible because even miscast Denzel is still better than most performances like maybe it's just my, my the way I I prefer Shakespeare to be more and immediately emotional like the way Kenneth Branagh does it just like the emotions are like right there like that dialogue is so good and so so it 
just built to convey human emotion. And Denzel chose to perform it in a more kind of lower cerebral sort of way. So, so kind of like I, I, I did a I did a stage version of Macbeth uh, once a while back. So I have a very great big attachment to this play. And there were so many moments like lights, oh the lights coming up and he just kinda of whispered through was like, oh I'm so I wish, you should you're supposed to yell it, okay? And to your credit, I think Shakespeare probably wrote it with uh, like, like, that like, kind of bill How mind. dare you, Denzel? You're supposed to yell that line, not whisper it. <laughs> um but yeah, it, it's like there's there's a couple things like that keep me from fully embracing it, but it's still it's gorgeous. A lot of the drama does land the cast is really good and just Shakespeare, man. You know, he's pretty good. That guy is pretty good. Uh, and I think, I think Joel, Joel Cohen uh, knows what he's doing, even when he's not with his brother. That, that was one of the wonderful things about hearing his reviews. Ah, he's a good director. Yeah. That is very close. Like that is, if not at the top, one of the top of my like most sad that I didn't see in the theater for my number six. I went, and again, this is, this is a, uh, going by theatrical roots. I went with Nomadland, um, which hasn't come up in any discussion so far. I'm realizing I, didn't, I haven't put this in any other category. This was a, a, a theatrically released in February, so I'm counting it. Um, you know, I, I will defend Eternals, but the better Zhao movie was this one, and I, I really loved it. I know a lot of people who weren't super into it. It's, it's, very, it's a very calming movie to me, where it's like, we just, we go to this community of people who live in their trailers and we just get to live with them. And like, they're the kind of people that you'd see and dismiss as like, oh, that's a weird, like, I do not want to be around that person. And it, it's just, it makes them people. And like, before, you know, it's like, oh no, that's Marge. I love Marge. She's so fun. Like it's, you just, you feel the community by the end of it. And like, and the movie is about like moving beyond grief and stuff and like learning to be able to pick up your life and be able to like, to continue and this this whole rv community becomes like this transitional place for pete for a lot of people because at first i was like what are they going to say about it because her she's drawn there because she doesn't want to have to lay roots down after the death of her husband but it's very clear that her arc is taking her away from that so i'm like are they make are they humanizing this community only to make it'd be like, you don't need to be here. You need to lay your roots back down. But it, it is very, it is very kind to this place. And it does treat it as a place where people kind of come to figure things out and build this kind of intermediary community, community with each other. I think it has a really powerful ending. Frances McDormand is just like, after Three Billboards, I, like, I mean, I loved her in Fargo, but then in Three Billboards, I was like, she's next level. And then she is just so freaking good. She's in Lady this. Macbeth in uh, Macbeth. I, I, man, she is like all over the place. And David Strathairn is really good. He's super likable in this. You're just like, God, what a. He, I wish my dad was friends with this guy so I could hang out with him. He's just like kind of got a, a pleasant older man vibe. Um, it's gorgeously shot, like at, so freaking pretty. Um, so, yeah, really, really great movie. My number five is Riders of Justice. Uh, echoing everything you said, like it's it's just it's a really cool concept for a movie. Like like on top of being a, like a really great you know, examination of grief and trauma and finding you know finding other people to share your pain with, like it's just it's a cool concept. It it doesn't go in the ways you'd expect. It has some really effective twists. 
Um, but yeah, just being with these really sad people being sad and being sad with them and then being happy when they get to be happy. Uh, it's just such a good ride. Very, very unexpected kind of movie. So my number five uh, is Dune. Um, I'm, I freaking love Villeneuve regardless, like whatever he's tackling. Um, and we talked about Sicario earlier. Sicario is a masterpiece. And mm-hmm. It's incredible. I love this kind of big movie. I love this kind of epic where it's, like I said before, when talking about Zimmer's score, like this movie took me to Arrakis. Like I was there. I, I feel like I walked that dune, you know, the, the, you know, people say like, oh, well, if you watch it on a laptop, is it as good? It's like, well, that's so stupid. Like it, it was made with this in mind. So like, I don't know, trying to neuter it of the, of the, the tools that it was the, made the answer is also yes. Like if you don't have a, bla- a bad glare on your screen and you have decent headphones, you should be transported by it. Yeah. And so to me, it's all of that was silly. Um, but like, I mean, it's production is incredible. Those dragonfly things are the coolest thing in the world. The, the, the way the hot air balloon stuff works is so weird to see. It, it looks incredible. I really love the cast. I really love the setting. Um, like it's, it's hitting number one on a lot of lists. It's halfway down mine because um, there is a sense of like half a story. And I think that'll be alleviated when we get part two. Um, but a lot of like what a lot of the themes within the story are going to come with the second half. Like a lot of a lot of its engagement with story in general and hero's journey and all of this kind of stuff. A lot of that is is towards the back. And so this movie doesn't get to utilize that as much as it's it'll probably feel retroactively more full with the part two, but as it stands, did you finish the book? Just, uh, not, not quite yet. Okay. I'm almost there. So it's, it's like, there is some sense of incompleteness, but not in a way that I think is, is permanent. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I mean, the, some a crazy big wild movie like this was made and it's the craft that, that's the biggest thing to hammer home is just the crap like this whenever that the like in the opening scene whenever that giant spaceship comes to like all the dignitaries walk out with their headdresses, i'm like oh, this is flawed <laughs> this is incredible you found the coolest widescreen angle in the entire world this isn't it's just it's so cool and like whenever the, the Reverend Mother is leaving and everybody's engulfed in dust, and then all of a sudden you hear that massive choir of like the Ben Gesser, it's not like, it's just, it's big and huge and cool. Uh, I really like it. I think there are aspects that are underdeveloped. I don't think Arakian, the, the city itself, I don't think it feels as alive as it needs to. And I don't think the politics of the that world and that place because they cut out all of like the dinner table scenes with the local politicians. All that was cut out, and so it kind of and feels... all the Harkonnen cutaways, like there's only like five minutes of Harkonnens in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and so like I, I do think that you do you feel the adaptation in it. And so I don't think Villeneuve has more than one masterpiece. I don't think this I don't think this joins his masterpieces because it does in a way it does feel like a family of three and some of their friends move into a city that's not quite real. Um, so there's a sense of that. 
but I just think that the the filmmaking on display is just so mind-bogglingly expert at, at for 99% of the time that I'm just like, dude, Villeneuve never needs to stop making movies. I have been a very lonely person over here, much like Otto and Mads Mikkelsen in Riders of Justice, <laughs> thinking, yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> I liked it. Uh, I didn't love the film. I didn't love it. Um, I, I'm not as completely sold on Denis Villeneuve as some people. Like, I think like Prisoners, uh, Blade Runner 2049, Sicario, incredible. There are other films that I like less of his. He has a coldness that, for me, works if the film is really thematically strong, has really strong characters, and that I find less engaging if it, if I don't connect as much with the characters, which I I could care less about Paul Atreides. I think Timothy Chalamet is just is only good. I don't think he's charismatic enough to hold a movie on his own of this scale. It's like from a technical standpoint, every word of praise that's been said about it is absolutely true. It is one of the most astonishing visions you'll ever see on screen. My favorite aspect of the book was the first half, the politics, the scheming, the just the brutality of the world and the every just the tension of there is the a shoe is going to drop. I don't know how or where, but it's going to happen. And just the, the kind of the vice coming down on this family, all of that, it felt so massive and just just really complicated, cool characters and and families and politics. And the part I didn't like and that I was rather bored by was the second half with the, you know, the Kwisatz Haderach and he goes in the Fremen, which I, the Fremen are so freaking boring. Um, <laughs> and so I, I this, this, you ranted, okay, you, you ranted about Spider-Man, so I'm going to rant about this. Um, yeah, so it, it's like the second half is the part I have the least interest in from the book. And so the, the film very much uh, cuts down the parts I loved about the book to focus on the parts I didn't care as much, which in, in fairness, I think it made me care more about certain aspects of Paul's character and his journey than the book did. So props to you, but I still don't care that much. <laughs> um, I, th I think also having the knowledge that knowing the le the less interesting half will be part two, it, it does diminish my excitement. I also think the ending is very weak. It just kind of ends with a whimper for me. People have compared it to Fellowship of the Ring. Just shut your mouth, people. No. <laughs> um, but it's good. It's, it's, it's pretty dang good. And just from a technical perspective, it is beyond astonishing. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's Dune. Um, all right, number four. Number four for me would be West Side Story, Steven Spielberg, John Kaminsky, musicals, a wildly charismatic young cast with Rachel Ziegler, Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, and uh, Mike Faced. Just pure electricity on screen to watch. John Kaminsky maybe his best looking. I don't know. That, that's a tall. I won't say that. But one of his best looking films. Steven Spielberg. You know he knows a thing or two about shooting movies in a fun, exciting, visually engaging way, and he does the same with musical numbers. Uh, which are, you know, as we know, the height of cinema. So this is, it's, it's so much fun to watch. I, I think I, I think I might prefer the original over this just for some, I think some thematic character choices they made. Um, I, I feel like some attempts at political commentary in this one didn't, I didn't care for as much as the way the original handled them. Other ways like casting, obviously <laughs> much better here. Um, and 
but one thing I, I think this thing did improve is that the first one felt very, it's a very long movie and it felt very long and it felt like you could trim it down. This one, it felt like it, um, it moved through the stories better. Uh, yeah. So just, a, I, I, I'm not absolutely in love with it, but it, it's, it's just Spielberg making a really good musical. So like, <laughs> it's great. Dang it. I hate that I missed that. I missed a Spielberg musical. Like that is a shame on me. It is. It is. You should be ashamed, James. I do feel ashamed. Cinema is dying. <laughs> <laughs> so my number four is licorice pizza. Um, over the past year, I've turned into like president of the PTA fan club. Um, like the master is pretty much my pick for the greatest film of the 2010s. And maybe there will be blood. I I think he's ridiculous. And and something that I I will say both in this review and just as I talk about him is that like, I do think he's great. And I think people need to consider him as like one of like, you know, he's in contention for like the greatest working director and stuff like that. But even beyond that, where I'll settle before that is just that is just by saying that he makes movies that look the way that I like movies to look. Like he directs movies the way that I like them to be. Directed. He's just it, whatever is within me that reacts to th- things is just it's 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 tuned. They they dial the knob to where it's just gonna it's immediately reacts to his style, the way he directs, the ways he writes. All is 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 he is like he's the filmmaker from for my self. Hey, that's me with Spielberg. <laughs> Yeah. And so like, and, and you, you, you know, there's, there's just that, that sense of reaction. You, you just know you're reacting how he wants you to. And that's how I feel with, with his style. And I just, I really loved, I really loved the seventies vibe and I'm already like, I'm predisposed to just love a good seventies vibe. And, you know, just from the very beginning, the opening thing of her going down, like offering the mirror to all the kids and then getting into arguments, like cursing out high school kids while they're in line for their pictures. And, and like all of just the outfits and the color, like, you know, the colors aren't crazy, huge and big and vibrant, but I feel like there's an intentional color palette. And so it's just, it's a visually pleasing movie. It's just like what I said, like, to me, it's it's probably my favorite looking movie for some reason of this year. I just I I love I love the way it looks. I love the film grain. I love the big wide look to everything. I love like there's a lot of really cool compositions. I think he finds. I love the movement. I love running shots. Uh, I really, I you know like where this was a negative for other people. I love these moments of bizarre heightenedness, like this Fellini feeling motorcycle scene or the bonkersness of Bradley Cooper being interspersed between just like, it's, it's just two people trying to figure things out within a weird changing time. And he captured the feel of the seventies. So incredible. I say, as if I've lived there, uh, but it's just, it, there, there's such a sense of authenticity, both to the location and to the characters and their feelings and the like what they're going through. And so it's like, it's a vibe movie. I, I like these people. I like, I like the sound, the song choices are great. It's just like, it is a movie that just, just in a lot of ways, I haven't talked about the weird age gap thing. It is, it's a weird thing. It was, the, the only reason it didn't really bother me is that he feels he reads much older than 15 and she reads much younger than 25. It's like, yes, these people maturity wise feel like they belong together. Okay. And so that's the thing where it's like, it's weird where part of what it feels like is like, because of his entrepreneurial sense. And like, he, he, I think, I think by casting Cooper Hoffman, who just, he looks 
because he is older than 15. Um, and, you know, she's a smaller person and there is a, like a lack of maturity, a lack of certainty and stuff. So emotionally, there, there does seem to be some crossover there. Um, and so, and I do, I think, I think there are moments where the film could have gone places and it's like, I think it included that possibility only to not choose it to try to cover its bases at times with like the scene of them on the waterbed. I think, you know, it opens a possibility for things to have happened, decides to not let that happen and moves on. I, I think it's being, it, it's holding itself back from ever trying to lean into that kind of taboo, um, which ke keeps me from being too queasy about it. And so, you know, when you, when you're not like, feeling weird about that, you still like, like, I, I like these people. Like, I like them. I, I, there's, I mean, they're very, very flawed and they would annoy the ever-loving crap out of me if I were with them. But for this, this two and a half, two and a half hour experience, like, I just, I'm so here. I'm so within this. I'm so within the sound and this look and this feel and this vibe. And it's just like the shot where he's going to set up his waterbed booth it's the long take and it's like oh they got the monsters oh they got this person this person and it's like we're just locked into his pace as we just have all of these different things moving around us and it's that great wonder it feels very much like a kind of early scorsese kind of cool wonder that he would do um i don't know man it's just it's a movie made for me i just really love it i think this is one of the most definitive arguments for me as to why certain aspects of films are truly subjective like some people vibe with Shyamalan, some people don't. Some people vibe with Snyder, some people vibe with David Yates. And apparently some people vibe with this movie, and I don't. <laughs> like, I'm here like, it, it was a movie, it happened, there were some good scenes, there were some okay scenes. It just kind of came, came and went without leaving much impact at all for me. And I'm uh, somewhat, I'm just kind of mildly confused <laughs> by all your raving. I don't know, I was just like... I was there like it's part of what I just love about film like this kind of transportational aspect of film of like which is why anything that breaks that illusion does maybe just it, it bothers me to the extent it does because for that for two hours and 40 minutes I was there I was I was there I was feeling it I was meeting those people I was meeting everything I was seeing all of this I existed there like it it has such a sense of place and time and such a, like a, a perfect grasp on its tone and feel that I'm like, I, I was in the hands of like just an incredible director for two hours and 40 minutes. And he never looked like, he never let me get away in a way that I love. I am happy for you. <laughs> Number three of mine is the suicide squad. Um, this movie is so much fun. It is James Gunn completely unleashed given way too much money and allowed to do whatever the hell he wants and he does <laughs> he does it a lot um i think this one was gorgeous the cinematography between uh, him and henry bram just this kind of overblown whites and like lots of very it's very harsh but i just i i love it it's very, very there's a very tactile sense to it also i think it's like dune is a div is a different style but a great example of cgi live action integration i think this is a, another incredible example of cgi integration with practical effects like there's a cgi shark on screen and you never once think that's a cgi shark yeah. um starro looks amazing destruction yeah. the dust it's all it looks so good um the character the 
like taking taking like I I I liked Joe Kinnaman in the first film. Like he wasn't done any favors by the script, but like the the evolution of Rick Flag from the first film where he's just a really thankless character to like how much I love Joel Kinnaman's performance in this film, Idris Elba. I almost go ahead. I was sorry. I was, I almost included his fight with Peacemaker in my favorite scenes because I think that scene is. But it's just... my least favorite scene because he does. <laughs> but he's so good. <laughs> and his last line, dude, it's so like his whole thing. That they whole... were experimenting on children. Like he's great, dude. Joel Kinnaman is great in this he movie. Is. Like it's yeah. Like just, I, I could go through the entire cast. They're all great. Um, I love Ratcatcher. Yeah, Ratcatcher too. Um, <laughs> the two are important. Uh, King Shark is so pure and adorable, even when he's eating people's heads. <laughs> just uh, like looking, at, just I love that we're in the middle of an action sequence, and we could and James Gunn will take time to just have him wander into an aquarium and find new dumb friends and just take joy in it. And uh, that that track. I don't. I forget what the track is called, but that track is gorgeous. I understand what you're saying about the comparison between this and Riders of Justice, but also if you're comparing Suicide Squad to Riders of Justice, you're film criticing wrong. <laughs> so different. Which is like, just the, I think there's something very personal about the way James Gunn is constantly writing films about broken, damaged people who do some good in the world for a change. Like I feel like it's probably saying something about himself, like how he views himself, or just the idea of just maybe we don't have to keep hurting people. Maybe we can actually change and maybe we can be the heroes today. Like the, the kind of the, that empowerment to these broken people. I, I find that very, very profound in a, in a different way than writers of justice. Okay. Uh, it's still good. Um, the reason is I, I didn't love, I didn't love it as much as like the first guardians of the galaxy. I have a hard, I have a difficult time with some of the, the raunchier aspects like i i love it but also then that there'll be a joke like oh i didn't like that and i'll clutch my pearls like i i it's very personal obviously but just i sometimes he just goes too far and i'm like yeah i'm not following you there a lot of people a lot of innocent people die very badly towards the end and i don't and i just the film is too fun for that to be happening and i think the plotting is a bit messy not not as messy as guardians of the galaxy volume 2 but just a kind of feels like it's treading water and just kind of going, just killing time. Sometimes <laughs> there is, there's one uh, diversion that goes on for like 10 minutes. I was like, did this film just get bad? And then, but it's all set up to an amazing punchline. The, se- the sequence with Harley Quinn, we go through the whole romance and I'm like, I- I'm not feeling this. And then the punchline happens like, Oh, this is brilliant. Um, so it, it's, it's the, it's such a fun movie. Not, not perfect. You know, it has some issues, but just so much joy. <laughs> and uh, so I think I'm probably going to like it more on rewatch. I think I, I went into it very excited and there were a lot of things that I was hoping for that, that I was hoping it would be that it wasn't, I, I think it, it, I mean, I completely agree in how it looks both in terms of the visual effects and stuff. It's, it looks so much better than so many things. Like it's, it looks incredible. And it also has that kind of like film grainy vintage look to it, like very leaning into that dirty dozen kind of feel. Um, and so now like I'm, I'm naturally going to really respond to something like that. Um, part of it was like a lot of the humor didn't work for me. And part of it was kind of similar to you where I'm like, it's just, you're having a hard time making me laugh with that. Like I, I, I'm not like, it's not a point of like, I am sitting here absolutely offended, but it's like, 
I laughed at most of it, but there were a couple. I'm not going to give that one a laugh, Gun. But I I think to give Gun credit, I think another filmmaker that does similar things like Matthew Vaughn. Like I I don't know if you've seen any of his films. Then you haven't seen Kingsman. Okay, that's Uh, only first. That's the most tasteful of his films. (laughs) Like I feel like when he gets vulgar, it feels like. He's like looking at the camera. Yeah, I just did that. You're gonna be offended. Like it, just, it feels very, very um, immature. There was not that James Gunn films are all that mature, but like he, it feels integrated better into just the overall aesthetic. Yeah, and and so like it's just there. There were several jokes. I'm like, it, it's not even that I'm offended. It's just that like ah, I just it didn't super land. There are other jokes that definitely did land. Uh, <laughs> I really like Peacemaker. I think he's really funny. Uh, he's I've seen films where he is not a good actor, and then like James Gunn could take him and just he knows what to do with with wrestlers apparently. Yeah. Um. So there, I mean, there's definitely stuff about it that I really like. I think part of it is like I, I do appreciate this personal touch that he does bring to these things, where there is obviously like this recurring idea that he comes to. It's just I guess the a lot of times the brokenness is played mostly for laughs and so i don't end up like i I really like polka dot man as a character but but most of what we get is like it it, and it to its credit it makes me laugh with the mom stuff like it is funny but it doesn't like i was like man like really lean into that guy and it's it's a different movie for i think if for me, I'm someone who just la- laughs at the misery of life. Like in my own life, when things go wrong, I'm just like, I got, you know, you can laugh or cry. I choose to laugh. So that for me, like it makes complete sense when <laughs> horrible human misery is kind of made for a joke. I guess it's just because he chooses to choose, like, especially in this instance, just genuinely psychologically messed up people. It gets to a point where it's like, man, I'm, la- I'm still laughing, but I do like, there's so much trauma here. And I'm just, I'm like, ah, give me the drama, but it's, it, it doesn't go there. We, I, and again, it's, it's about expectations and what James Gunn is wanting to make. Um, but I also, I think sometimes there is a, James Gunn has a brand of, irrever- of, of kind of irreverent humor that doesn't always work with me, which we kind of already talked about. But like, I don't like, like the killing through the the whole village. I was like, there was kind of a shocked <laughs> laughter. Where it's like, it is, it is genuinely it's, funny. <laughs> it's funny. Like I can't deny that it's not genuinely funny. But then after a little, as it sits, I'm like, <laughs> I feel gross. I don't. That's so messed up. And like. And the part that I was like, okay, I'm kind of mad at you now, was like giving Polka Dot Man his <laughs> I'm an effing superhero moment and killing him. He I... wanted to die. He got his wish. But, he, but th- he wanted to die because he thought he was a villain. And now he gets to have his hero moment. And that's when you kill him. You couldn't have killed him in his misery. You wait till he, he finds happiness happy. and then you kill him. Okay. <laughs> that's the point. You made him live an entire lifetime. <laughs> of misery and the second he gets a taste of happiness and family you kill him with a joke oh i was bothered by that i hated that this poor guy let him let him taste happiness for longer than half a second before you violently smash him <laughs> yeah i think, I think my, my favorite james gunn is pg like 
I like him R-rated, but I think PG-13, where he gets to just rein it back a little. You know, you call it safe, whatever. I'm safe, whatever. <laughs> I think like when he's going Gonzo in PG-13, I, I think that that's where I think he's able to shine the most. I actually agree with you. I, I think the Disney restraints are actually kind of good for him. Um, number, uh, number three for you. Uh, my number three is uh, The Green Knight. I love this movie. I love, I, I love the way it looked. I love the fairy tale storybook quality to it. Um, I, I love the performances. Dev Patel, man. I freaking love Dev Patel. It's a masterclass in how to make a budget, a budget look bigger. Just get a drone, go to Ireland or Iceland or something. <laughs> it looks so good. It looks so pretty. It like, you get a good location, you get a, a cool some cool pieces of set, and then you like then you just let post production do their thing with like like just change the color. Like you don't even it's not even a bunch of crazy effects, but it's like the the effects of the giants are like so cool to me. Um, but I love that it embraces its weirdness. Like everything with Guinevere, where he's like he gets the head and then she's he's holding it and he drops it. It's in the bed and now his the axe is is, is back. It's how how does all this work? Like it's it's so weird where it almost feels like that kind of video game episodic quest of gaining things. It's like I, I but I I love the episodic quality to it. The you know like there's almost this kind of video game like quest thing. Like you're getting the item and you're moving on. And there is a weirdness and there's like so many things lack explanation in it. But it, you just accept it's part of this weird storybook world this very adult storybook world but not a tasteless kind of adult and i know like it is it has these weird moments but i i actually don't think that they're like needlessly provocative and stuff um and i i think it's it's themes is really like there's something by the end of the, the the last portion of this film is just ridiculously powerful to me the the idea of living off of a lie and how that affects legacy and i even remember you had made a comment about it after you saw it about just the image of putting the gold coins on this the blood stain and just what like that that image just the emotion that that image conjures it's Um, it's so sickening like you know what like she's you had the scene before you know I don't want your gold. I want your name. You know, I want to be with you. And then dumping the gold in the bloody bed, taking the child, leaving her weeping. It's like, it's so wrong. It's so wrong. And it's so, it's very powerful filmmaking, but even just like the idea of uh, the way it approaches the idea of honor is really interesting. All like the comments, like just a very Arthurian kind of storytelling where like just, color has meaning and power and the idea of green and decay and whether things will live and last and and what we pursue things for and what honor even means like fake ideas of honor and it's just i think it's a very very maturely told story and among all of the weird inexplicableness of it there, there is a very strong maturity to it and a very strong handling of these of these really big ideas. And so it's like, it, it looks gorgeous. 
I love it. it David Lowry just is, is a, an excessively patient director, <laughs> and he demands his audience to be equally patient with him. Um, you're gonna watch the pie be eaten, <laughs> and so, but I like I especially within this setting, I really love that. I really love that he's like, no, just sit there, just sit there, stop. You're just, just gonna sit there and let this happen, and so, yeah, I. I really, really, really love this movie. Yeah, it's, it's a bit slower and more, obtu- more obtuse than I prefer, but I still, I think the themes and character stuff is so strong. I still was able to get a lot, get, you know, get into it. Um, the thing that re- I really works to me is just the central character arc of Dev Patel's character. Dev Patel is fantastic. Um, just mm. he's an absolute movie star. But the idea of this young man who's growing up after all the giants and dragons have been killed, which they haven't been because there's giants in the movie, but like that idea of all his uncles and you know, his father, his uncles, all, all the old men around him, you know, they went out and killed slayed dragons. They, you know, they tamed the land and now he's growing up with, there's no more honorable deeds to be done. Like, so, and, and like, it's, it's, it's very different than the book in the book in the poem like he's a really good dude with like one flaw here he's kind of a garbage person he's he's kind of just kind of a, a rake just a coward but he wants to be a good man he wants to be a great man and just the idea of just finding out discovering who he truly is and what like is it even possible for someone like him to ha- achieve greatness to or to even achieve achieve goodness? I'm like I, I view it as like a really powerful kind of redemption story where he finally faces down yeah. like he, the entire film is he's telling himself, No, I'm real I'm actually a good man. I'm actually and he just facing down the fact that he is terrible. And these choices, if he makes it comes down to this final choice, if he makes this choice, it will lead to a life of deception and shame that will destroy and kill him. And he ultimately makes the choice towards, you know, I'm going to choose courage here. Like just the way that these small choices will shape one's life. I know we have a different read on the end, like whether or not he dies. Like that's a pretty important factor. Um, I think he lives. And for, so for me, like this is a, a rather very powerful redemption story. See, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with everything you said there, except I think he dies. But to me, this is the, I still think it's a story of redemption. It's, it's the polka dot version that I like. I think it's okay for him to die. Again. <laughs> um, uh, I love that ending, just the off with his head, and then cut to the title. Oh, wait. and Ralph Innocent that's, that's with his show. voice. Jeez. Oh, dude, that man can speak. All right. Um, my number two would be Minari. This is just a very quiet, sweet film about a family trying to grow some crops, and things are rough, and they like each other, and there's tension, and then there's sweetness, and more tension, and financial troubles, and ambition and marital trouble it's just very sweet portrait of a family very very low-key very honest um not you know very little you know uh there's very little fireworks there's no there's no kind of hyped up drama it's just we're we're gonna watch this family for two hours dealing with a a difficult time um which like there there are there are different kinds of emotion there is an emotion you feel from heightened you know, Hollywood drama and the emotion you feel from very restrained film drama, like very realistic restrained drama like this. For me, I generally achieve the greatest heights uh, with more Hollywoodized drama, more, more heightened, like more more movie-ish. Um, so I, there, are, there, is a spe- there is something special about movies like this. I think a similar one would be Roma or 
Riders of Justice. But well, no, that's a bit more heightened as well. But like the farewell. Yes, that as well. It, like, it, like there is a there is something I feel during those movies I don't feel during more heightened Hollywood films, but they never. I don't know. Maybe I'm just dead inside, but I need a bit more, <laughs> a bit more heightening, a bit more directing, a bit more acting to get me to my weep, to get to me to my weeping. And you know, so like it's really good, really sweet, um, so, very solid movie. Yeah, and I mean, to your credit, absolute powerhouse greats like Hitchcock would agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot of quotes about it's like if you're not if your movie isn't heightened you're doing things wrong and i'd like i really love both i think one of the key differences is maybe there i I do think maybe sometimes in the moment i do get the bigger reaction from the big thing the thing that goes big but i think the stuff that stays with me longer is is the more realist like realistic stuff because i think the stuff that works big it's it's working very big to that the specificity of this thing and what's going on there because it is tailored like all the pieces of the movie are building to these big bursts of emotion and so it's priming you to just feel it all there but i i think what i really love and appreciate about things like minari um is after it's over because it is so human and so real i find different things to grab onto that feel applicable beyond the movie itself because it is such an honest and realistic picture of things and i'll talk about it later so my number two is pig uh i i went and saw this because i heard it's a great nicholas cage performance and it's also just a very like it's it's a a low-key thoughtful movie and i've there's a lot about the like the just absolutely off off the wall insanity of Nick Cage stuff that I pre- like. I loved Mandy. I thought it was amazing. Um, but I was like, man, Nick Cage stripped back, doing a weird, like maybe uh, John Wick send it. I, I, I was like, I'm, I'm interested. And like for all the reasons that I, I gave while I talked about those scenes, that's why I love this movie. I love, I love its quietness. I love its tenderness. I love the humanity in it. I love the way people relate to other people and it's just it's such a a quiet weird absurd movie and i think a lot of why i love it is also in how it relates to things like john wick i think there's so many intentional parallels uh i had a conversation with a friend about it where it's like you know in john wick you've got the the father who's at the top of the empire you have the son who's not as successful you have that fractured relationship and john wick solves the problems by killing them both (laughs) And in this, you have that father figure, you have that son, you have that fractured relationship, and there's healing brought to it. There's reconciliation brought to it through that beautiful meal, like the the beautiful scene with the meal and like the way, like everybody's just crying by the end of that scene. Um, And and so to me, like it's, it's intentionally trying to be like these other things so that you notice when it doesn't do the thing. Like, without if it didn't make itself similar to other things you might not notice the fact that it made a decision to do something there before you just think oh the, i mean it was just written that way but now it's like oh it was this at this part in that other movie this would have happened but instead this happened and another idea is like you take the image of nick cage at the end of this movie and the image of keanu reeves at the end of john wick and they're both bloodied bruised torn up men but 
Nick Cage, he doesn't throw a punch in the whole movie. All of the suffering, all of the beating he takes is is for the sake of getting to something else. And it's a pig in this case, but I do love, like there's a very sacrificial kind of love, I think in it where it's, it makes the choice to absolutely beat him up like you would in a revenge movie. But all, all of it is, is beating he intentionally and like willfully takes on hands behind his back and accepts it for the sake of getting to this other thing and doesn't lash out, you know, and, and to me, even just that, that bloodied image of him by the end of the film ends up being powerful because of the fact that he, he wasn't throwing punches. He just accepted violence. Um, and like I said, by the end of it, just him resting his head on the window, coming to terms with it, being able to play the song at the end. It's a weird, weird little movie, but I, it's just, it's really powerful to me. And I loved how sweet and nice and quiet it was. This one's funny. Cause I think we have, I like it as well, but I think we have very different reads on it. Like I, I, I maybe it's because I had spent a year with people saying it's like John Wick, but not. And then I watch it, like, how did anyone ever think this film that has a ten, like a two, three minute shot of just a doorway and a pig walking around? How did they think this was like, going to be a John Wick movie? Like, it, it, there's never a second where it feels like it's going to be that kind of movie for me. I was like. That, that that shock that it seems like every other person in the world had didn't happen to me. Also, I view this movie as kind of comedic in a very quiet, sad way, but there's kind of an absurdity to the elements where it does nod to a John Wickish world. Like there's an underground fight club of restaurant waiters like, or the fact that he like he spends the entire film with just the blood caked over his face he never washes it no one ever people almost never mention it. it's just like he's just doing it like he there's a scene where he goes to wash his hands to make a meal but his face is a bloody mess like there's a an element of comedy to it for me that i i found like i think i think it's intentional and it's almost funnier if it's not intentional but yeah, I I didn't enjoy. Like, it is the, there are lots of very lovely moments. I think I really uh, connected with um, I really I think it's Alex Wolf his character yeah. and kind of just his need to, like his desire to measure up to his father and the way uh Nicholas Cage's view of the world kind of affects that and just the the very quiet friendship they build over the film. Like I like a lot about it, but I also, I feel like I watched a somewhat a different movie than everyone else. Yeah, for me, it's not. It, the similarities are more in its construction than its immediate feeling. Like it's, you can describe both of the, you can describe the films and completely remove any descriptions of tone and make them sound similar where it's like, like, it, you know, it's guy who used to be the expert in his field goes into retirement and then his wife is, his wife is dead and her memory kind of lives on through an animal an animal that was taken from him and brings him back into this underground thing. And he's, and there is like this father figure thing. That's going to be this final confrontation. And there is like the fractured relationship with his son. Who's also like, there's, there's just a lot of, to me, intentional plot similarities, even if they don't feel super similar in the moment, the, the steps taken, I think, and the especially just the premise and the world, there's there's a, enough similarities to where to me it's like you did that on purpose. And and I I definitely found comedy in it. It was, it was comedy and like there's a weird absurdity to it that I was like, 
I kind of did the, the, it's kind of weird. And then just accepted it as part of this world. And like, before you, okay, there's a, there's a waiters who fight. Like, I, it's weird. But then all of a sudden it's just, oh, this is, this is a thing in this world. And like, kind of moved on. Um, not without finding it funny, like I said, but like, I don't know. It was a weird kind of absurdity that I didn't spend a long time laughing at, but was definitely noticeable. All right, so moving to our number one. My number one is Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, This movie's epic. Did we mention that before? Uh, it's four hours long, and it doesn't feel it. I, I put off rewatching it for the longest time because, you know, four hours, I work a lot. Like, you're tired and... You, you, there's very few times you where you're tired in the evening after a long day of work. Like you don't want to watch a four hour movie right now. <laughs> so like, I put it off and then I watched it. I watched it last night, like last chance before we watch is, you know, it's been on my top for the entire year. Does it stay there? And it flies by. You're like two hours into the movie. You're like we've been watching this, what 45 minutes now. Like it, it just, it moves really, really well. I think um like just a good example of a way a, a longer film flows better similar with the first BVS where they cut out a half hour of story and the the theatrical version sometimes felt longer than the director's cut just because it, it flows so well it's not it's not perfect uh I think there are some serious issues it feels like a movie that didn't have its full post production budget there are a lot of CGI shots that are very gooey and just. I'm going to look past that and just smile and keep going. I'm not going to pay attention to that bit. Like, it happens a lot. Like, it was never meant to be four hours. It feels the stretch in the budget a lot of the time, which is disappointing because I think Snyder films generally look like some of the best as far as, you know, CGI integration. Uh, but I think just the power of the imagery that Snyder is just working with, he understands how to be epic and just how to just there's a great patience to it. We just we'll watch like a you know several minutes of an Amazonian procession as they're bringing the arrows up and they're lighting them on fire. Then they're shooting them off and we watch it fly through the clouds. Like it's like a five minute sequence. Like it, it did it need to be no, but it's epic. <laughs> and all of that set to uh, Junkie XL, Tom Holkenberg, or just going wild. The cast is all really good. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really satisfying um, kind of myth, wild, ambitious, mythological entry to the the superhero genre. I don't like four by three, you know, artistic integrity. Whatever, it doesn't work. You know, we've there's a reason for the last seventy years. Films have gone horizontal rather than vertical. Um, so like there's, there's choices I don't like about it. You know, the, the Martian Manhunter choice. I really don't like that. The epilogue is attached to the film. Like I love the scene, but it just doesn't work for me. It's like, I, I really want to make a, my own kind of cut of this film, just kind of do a couple tweaks and just change some, change some things. But it, it still is. It's, it's, it's a, it's a wonder that it exists. It's just going back, like the thought that, I, 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 you know, I tweeted the, the release of Snyder Cut hashtag a couple times, but you never think it was actually going to happen. Um, yeah. So it actually happening. And, and for us, as people who became friends through defending BVS and that whole crowd that we met, we met, you know, with the, the meetup we had to watch, we watched this film. We all came together because of our love for, of Zack Snyder and those films. And so it's, it's such a, 
it's for personal reasons it's this wonderful culmination of a of a wild five year journey um as film fans so but i i mean i love all the stuff that you said about it where it is like it's big epic bombastic filmmaking happening within the same film that is very patient and very methodical and very character focused and I really appreciate like I like that he's like I'm gonna like I'm gonna stretch this scene out there's also like there's just a lot of dialogue in it there's a lot of there's a lot of people talking to each other in between the action and I mean I love the mythological feel of it I love the whole gods among us kind of thing I you know forgiving CGI just the production design of the film I think is just absolutely bonkers next level um it's it's just it's also just a cool movie it's just, it's such a cool movie uh all of batman's new crazy gear the huge machine mm-hmm. like it's just it's a comic book movie and it's not afraid of being a comic book movie you know it feel like it's a weird thing to say like, it feels like a comic book movie like there's i, I think no way home is another one where like this uh, th- these goofy weird things that are happening feel like things that would be happening if I were reading a comic. Whereas a lot of comic book films kind of shy away, trying to make it a bit more real, or just there there there's a kind of rhythm and just wildness and just weirdness that comics are completely comfortable with that most films are not, and this one is. There's the the image of it's at the end montage of just Batman on the the Dark Knight Returns massive ridiculous tank is like they did that just because it looks cool you know and it's, so yeah I that's I Snyder's career he movie. did that just because it looks cool yeah and so and it's not even just that I respect it I do really love it because I think it is a very 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 well made movie um so. My number one is Minari. Um, I feel like I've talked about it a lot, so I'll, I won't, I'll try not to be long-winded. Um, I just love this movie. I love, I love the Yi family. I love the drama and it, all of, I feel like every character in it, especially among the family, has, has their own very real, I've seen it several times. And something that I started doing on like the last couple of times is, deciding on a character to be like a POV and to see it through their eyes. And like they experience their own, they go through their own stuff in it. And it it's the kind of drama that could also warrant its own, like, oh, this was the protagonist of it. You know, like with Jacob Yee being like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to till this land, I'm going to do this. Uh, and the director Lee Isaac Chung, he's actually uh, a Christian. And hearing some of his comments about it where he's like, "Oh, that makes sense with the with he, the with the, uh, the character, um, the kind of weirdo dude, Will Patton." Yeah, yeah. And you know, speaking of him, I love the treatment of his character. Mm-hmm. Where like, it's the movie is not afraid to laugh at some of the the goofiness of it, but it's it's not mean to him. Like it kind of loves him and it loves his kindness um and so just stuff like that and but there was an interview where he's talking about like part of why he wrote the what like the idea of like finding water and digging the well is is like you know things like gardens and wells feature heavily in prominent moments and like in the biblical narrative and he's like this there's something biblical just within their narrative here so he wanted to include that kind of the garden setting and the the idea of finding the water and finding the, like, 
it's just interesting comments from him that like it just added another layer but you know i just i i love i love like i said jacob's arc uh i forget his wife's name but just everything that she has to go through you know with a guy who's so fixated on something that he loses sight of what's best for the family and all of the stuff that she has to put up through like with the home and all of that and then uh the daughter who's like she you know David is the baby of the family. He gets all the care, but she is a child. Like you almost forget that if she had, a, if there was no younger brother and she had an older sibling, she'd be the baby. But she's like, because David's younger and because of his heart issues, there's like an added responsibility to her to grow up to be this young woman. Um, and, and then David going through, like already having all of the heart stuff and seeing all of the, the scene where they write all of their their notes on the paper airplanes and throw them at their parents while they're arguing <laughs> is the most precious little thing. I love the grandmother to, oh my gosh, I love that character. She's, oh, that moment, everything that goes on with her is just, it tears up my heart. And so it's just, it's, it's such a beautiful loving portrait of this family that has such an, a ridiculous sense of authenticity to it that, uh, and, and the technical, you know, like, like you said, it's not like, there's not, you know, craziness to it. It's not crazy heightened or anything, but it is very beautifully shot, I think. And the score is just one of the most gorgeous things ever. So I've rewatched it a few times and it's just, it's ended up becoming like kind of joining that, that list of movies that I just unequivocally love and know will like, will own and rewatch for like years. And as I said, it is very sweet. <laughs> it is so sweet. All right, so that was our top 10 of the year. You know, I was only joking when I said, go, we're going to go four hours, but what the heck, this is the end. Let's go for it. Um, I want to Before we close out, I do want to talk about our most anticipated films of 2022. <laughs> Dude, I have films that have been here since our uh, 2019 episode. <laughs> Death on the Nile and Top Gun. Where they were on my t- most in- back in no, I think my most anticipated for 2020 lists, uh, on our 2019 retrospective, both of them have been there for two years. Uh, I think and uh, Death of the Nile is finally coming out next month as of recording, and uh, I I, I hope I can I really want to make it down there to watch it with you. Your life is crazy, but I, I hope that and Top Gun, just those trailers, man, like flying Great looks trailers. cool. Joseph Kaczynski makes good looking movies. Yeah. Running through the rest would be uh, Operation Fortune, Rudiger, uh, awful subtitle. <laughs> um, I'm always here for Guy Ritchie. Again, much like The Gentleman and Wrath of Man, the trailer is kind of bad, but I've learned to not really mind that because people don't seem to know how to sell his recent spurt of crime movies. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. And he's like, he's already shot his next film as well. This dude just this dude's going for it. Um, Scream. The trailer didn't do much for me, but I love the series. I really like the director's previous film. Um, I'm blanking on it. Hide and Seek. Oh, I do. Hide and Seek. That was a lot of fun. And the buzz has been shockingly positive. Like, there have been just a wave of Twitter reactions that have been very positive. I like, they they must be hiding something in those very mediocre trailers. Our next one is a Cyrano, a Joe Wright musical with Peter mm. Dinklage. Peter Dinklage is wonderful. I really like Joe Wright a lot of the time. Sometimes he's just doing things that I don't understand. Um, ambulance, Michael Bay, Jake Gyllenhaal, explosions. And a drone. Drones. There's a shot in the trailer 
where the drone a drone flies across this yard and a car hits a bump and flies over the drone why don't movies do that more often it's it it looks like everything i love about michael bay just insane I, action and my, and jake gyllenhaal legitimately is giving an incredible performance in that trailer like this man is so charismatic and apparently a psychopath but <laughs> well you know i'm genuinely excited about it though <laughs> like i was like yeah. michael bay whatever and i saw the trailer I'm like frick that looks cool it looks so freaking cool then the batman i mean it's the batman those trailers goodness grief uh then there's the gray man the russo brothers are again doing a massive 200 million dollar action film with chris evans ryan gosling and anna de Armas. i mean what else do you need bullet train uh this is david leach and, all, and a really amazing cast a cool concept i've been hit or miss with david leach like he's seems the lesser of the two john wick directors but like the, the cast is amazing and he's he definitely has promise uh, Fantastic Beast Crimes uh, not Crimes <laughs> different one um, The Crimes of Dumbledore Fantastic Beast The Secrets of Dumbledore I'm the one guy who likes the series and I'm here I'm still here for it uh, I really like the trailer I'm here for it whatever I don't care what anyone else has to say uh, The Northman Robert Eggers doing a historical epic about Vikings what else do you need uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness Sam Raimi the trailer mm. looked cool John McFour I was up to John Wick 4 just got pushed back to 2023. Boo. Um, <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. I'm worried about this because I... <sighs> Taiko ITD confuses me, but I'm still excited for it because Jojo Rabbit was the most wonderful thing ever. Um, Mission Impossible 7. I have worries that Christopher McCory can top himself, but also he's just made three of my favorite action films in a row, so what right do I have to worry? Um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, dude, it's a part one, and that, like, that, I, the trailer came out, just blew the internet's minds, uh, yes, please, um, uh, Avatar 2, James Cameron is the, one of the greatest directors of all time, uh, you haters can go screw yourselves, Babylon is Damien Chazelle's next film, I know really nothing about it, but it has a lot of cute people involved, and lastly, Escape from Spider-Head, this is Joseph Kaczynski's film with Chris Hemsworth, it's some kind of thriller, all I needed was Joseph Kaczynski to be interested. Um, any of yours that I did not mention? So I've got the Batman, obviously. Death on the Nile, obviously. The Whale, I haven't seen anything from Aronofsky, but I'm here for the Brendan Fraser onnescence. I have seen Noah and was not impressed. <laughs> uh, I have not heard a lot of good things about Noah, but I've heard a lot of good things about other movies from him. So uh, if anything, he's a director that I think sounds interesting, If even though I haven't like seen anything from him. But like I said, Brendan Fraser is back, and I'm going to respect that. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, I've really, really loved Old Man Scorsese's era of movies, and I'm very excited for him doing like this. What's been described by his crew as like the last great, big, important Western kind of thing. So I'm hyped about that. Babylon, obviously, Damien Chazelle, absolute fanboy. Um, the Northmen, because that trailer looks incredible, and knowing Robert Eggers' like painstaking attention to historical detail means that I'm going to enjoy this. Probably, like any cool thing that happens is probably going to be stuff that actually happened, and that's just an added thing. Uh, it's just it looks so so good. I love that trailer. Um, Disappointment Boulevard. 
uh, Ari Aster's new movie. I know basically nothing about it except I've absolutely loved his last two films and it's going to star Joaquin Phoenix. So that's very excitement worthy. Um, the Killer, uh, David Fincher teaming up with Michael Fassbender for another serial killer movie. Mm. That very much has my attention. Um, obvious, and then obviously Mission Impossible 7 and Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Yeah, some of those I would add to my list. This is just like I scrolled through a list of 500 films and picked out the ones I saw. There's a lot I missed. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of cool films coming out. Yeah. Isn't it great to love movies? It is. Um, even when all the good ones are bombing. Except Spider-Man. Spider-Man's doing okay. Good for it. <laughs> but James didn't see West Side Story, so it's bombing and cinema is dying. <laughs> all right. So, James, you ready to end this? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's sad. Um. So, one last time, James, where can people find you online? You can follow me over on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's JL, H-A-M-R-I, on Letterboxd. Uh, I write different reviews. You can keep up with what I'm watching over there. And you can find the both of us over on The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group on Facebook. Um, Book of the- yeah, we're right in the middle of a new Star Wars series with more uh, uh, Star Wars content on the rise. So there's definitely more reason to join over there and take part in discussion. I am also on Letterboxd and there's Gabriel Green. Um, follow me there for all, all my movie reviews and whatnot. I am on, well... The podcast is on Twitter as Franchise Fatigue Podcast, but it's pretty much my personal Twitter account. Uh, if you want to follow me, go there, and I will be talking about movies and usually tweeting about this this or that that I love. It's a very fun, positive place. And lastly, uh, check out my YouTube channel, Green Rio one That's where I'm going to be fo- hopefully focusing my uh, creative endeavors after the podcast ends. I have a, a movie music video uh, um, that is almost finished that will be released there pretty soon. And hoping to try my hand at some video essays now that I, now that I, yeah, yeah, sure. Like I, I'm sure this will end, and I'll be like, how did I ever have the time to do that? Almost immediately. But I hope to you know try some different things. So go over there. That'll be where my creative adventures will be happening in the future. All right, James, you gonna take us out for the last time? I don't even know how. Huh. What. What would be a call out or what would be a the call sign? Or not call sign, sorry. It's very late. Just a sad wail to the darkness. Uh, well, uh, well, there may not be a next time. Or maybe, who knows? Maybe someday down the road we'll be like, hey, we should get together and record over something. I think um, we're going to go into withdrawals like an hour after this is over. <laughs> There'll be something that it would not surprise me if there are some sort of rando special episodes we'll do it for some reason here and there, just for funsies, you know. But I guess until and if that happens, we will see you online. See you guys. <laughs>